nails are dirty again. And give me those tweezers. Push the nose hairs. Okay. I'm ready. Dispatch is from Planet Funk. This is the Aced Out Podcast. Dedicated to all whom the man tried to ace out. By profiting from the soul. Without stopping to give props to the prophets of soul. Can you dig that? It's your boy Ace Allen, a.k.a. Barack Wizen. We're brought to you by the letter P. And we're sponsored by Pete. P-E-T-E. Otherwise called... People for the ethical treatments of ear holes. We're all funk and not fam affiliated. Because funk is just fun with a K. That's why they spell it funky. And I know you agree with me, Jay. You know it. I don't know if the younger kids out there are getting that joke. When I say we're brought to you by the letter P, you remember on Sesame Street, they say we're brought to you by the letter Q. You remember that? They do like, yeah. And, uh,. We're doing a little joke with P, P-Funk, and Sesame Street. Anyway, you get it if you're older, if you're an old uh, fuck like me. You know, there's been funky stuff happening out there, Jay Stone. Somebody tried to hotwire my truck. Man, that sucks. I went in my truck, and the uh, the ignition where you put the key in, you know, was on the ground. Right. Uh, And they didn't upset anything else. They just tried to hotwire it, and we moved on. Weird. You know, you and I, we went to the museum a couple weeks ago, yeah. saw the Afrofuturism exhibit. That was dope. And uh, it was it was dope. And when I was walking home, I, cho- I decided to walk home uh-huh. because, you know, I live on the other side of Lake Merritt yeah. uh, where the museum was. And uh, I went for a nice walk home on Sunday afternoon. It was a nice sunny day, as you recall. Mm-hmm. And I sat down on a bench like to check out some pictures that I took uh, inside the exhibit. Yeah. And like, there's like 14 gunshots. Oh, shit. I didn't tell you this story. No. And I turn around, and there's like all these cars driving away, and there's like joggers like ducking behind cars. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God. There's like a lot of shots, too. I guess. And somebody's all, did you see that? There's a bunch of bullet holes in that car. Uh, So I guess I didn't get shot just because I didn't get shot. I mean, I was like in this big, wide open area, and I was just sitting there. And that was in the same weekend, actually, because it was a couple days before I got the hot wire. But you know what? Despite all these things, they cannot bring me down. The man cannot bring me down. Society cannot bum me out. No. I'm feeling so happy about the Funkonauts, about A-Style Podcast, about music, about opportunities, about things that are happening. Uh, Jay, you just got back from Atlanta. Show did, brother. And you talked to in person our uh, brother in arms, our fam, our co-producer, Jay Dub. Jay W. How was that visit, man? How'd it go? In person, man. It it was incredible. Uh, Cool dude. Um, Very funny in person. Right. like had story he, he went more into the stories he told us more in depth than uh oh just, yeah yeah man i mean yeah got we gotta stories. have him on one more time because <laughs> i had some other questions to ask him too so let's let's tell him to have him on one more yeah, time he's he is down with the funk for real y'all. we should fly him out and have him here in person and oh, do an man. episode yeah that would be dope well i've been waiting for this episode for a long time Sit back and relax and dig the uh, wisdom of our man Maruga Booker, mm-hmm. our guest for our 23rd episode, Jay Stone. Yeah. A percussionist. 23. Yeah, 23. 
Maruga Booker, that's M-U-R-U-G-A. He's percussionist and drummer, uh, known for taking hours-long solos. He's a spiritual leader. He lives the drum, Jay Stone. Okay. And he approaches music and life in a kind of almost a medicinal way, in a healing way. Yeah. Um, he had a hit in 1960 at age 17 with a group called The Low Rocks, a song called Blueberry Jam, which is kind of like a hyper version of the Fats Domino um, Blueberry Hill tune. And then he would play at this place in throughout the 60s called Chessmate Cafe. Uh, it's an after-hours club in Detroit. Mm-hmm. That's when his name was Steve, when he was Steve Booker. Okay. And he played in the house band there from 65 to 71. He was actually the leader of the house band. And he even did a double bill, kind of a double a duo act with Johnny Lee Hooker, believe it or not. Oh, man. Back then when he was real young. And man. that was called Hooker and Booker. He also told us a wonderful, amazing story of him jamming with Jimi Hendrix, Jay Stone, with Hendrix playing the bass guitar. Maruga Booker, uh, he performed at day one of Woodstock, Jay Stone, uh, where he performed for folk uh, artist Tim Harden, where he also performed with his good friend, already good friend at that point, Richie Havens, where he was given the name Maruga by a Swami, right there at Woodstock on day one. Wow. Then uh, throughout the 70s, uh, Maruga brought his Eastern drumming style. Because Maruga is a Serbian-American brother. Okay. But he brought Eastern drumming to Western music. I see. And throughout the 70s, well, he played with Weather Report. Yeah. Uh, He played with Michael Henderson, the bass player. He played on Miles Davis's On the Corner, and he has some great uh, solo albums throughout the 70s himself. Then in the late 70s, he was invited to come into the P-Funk fold, invited by Frank Waddy and Bootsy J. Stone. Mm -hmm. So he did have his P-Funk years. Um, He was there in the 80s. And, you know, we talked to Andre Fox before and other guys from that period of uh, George's life. Right. So Maruga was there uh, in the P-Funk fam of musicians. He brought spirituality to the p He was not only a percussionist for them, but also their yoga teacher and masseuse. uh, For Bernie, Bootsy, GC, Sly Stone was there in that period hanging out. And, you know, he just taught those guys how to chill out, Jay Stone, how to not be too tense. He performed on one of my favorites of all time, Electric Spanky and War Babies, one of my favorite songs of all time. Funk Gets Stronger, I know it's one of your favorites too, Jay Stone. He played on Clinton solo albums, computer games, Shouldn't Nut But Fish, mm-hmm. Urban Dance Floor Gorillas, on Bootsy's underrated rarity called God Mama. I'm gonna have to find that. Yeah, yeah, you can find there's a couple songs on YouTube. That's G-O-D-M-A-M-A. That's some funky stuff. Uh, and then George Clinton actually produced uh, a project for Maruga. He recorded a project on Maruga, and they did 22 songs, Maruga and the Soda Jerks. He's always got those crazy names, rubber bands, soda jerks. <laughs> and most of that was unreleased, unreleased although Maruga does have it in his possession. Uh, but one song was put out uh, called Superstar Madness. Uh, George put that out in, in like a box set, I think, in 93. And that features who on bass? Sly Stone on bass. Um, Maruga, he also patented a, 
And his invention is the Nada drum. He invented a drum called the Nada drum, and he told us about that. He got a patent for that in 85, so it's a real invention. We're not talking metaphorically. Um, he has a lot of music that you could catch today. It's on his website, mediastreamllc.net slash maruga. And there's a lot of albums there. There's some trance stuff on there. There's some groovy stuff on there. There's some strict stuff on there. There's some loose stuff on there. Albums like Fathership, Rock the Planet, Boom Zoom, World Jam Della, Cosmic Boogie, Cosmic Boogie, and way more. Cosmic Boogie, that's on her Stern Show. I'd like to shout out uh, his son, Maruga's son, Aaron Booker, who did a lot to produce this episode and put it together, Jay Stone. Tell me facts about his father and let me know the 411 on the tracks that I should listen to and present to our audience. Um, Andre Fox, he also deserves credit for this episode, Jay Stone, and he told me I should interview Maruga uh, months ago. Okay. And so I'm finally getting around to it. I had a little bit of a holdup when I changed apartments as I discussed last episode. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Andre Fox. Listen to Andre's episode. Still one of the most popular episodes of Aced Out. That is episode 19 of Aced Out, guitarist Andre Fox. And I just want to say, Jay Stone, that Andre is putting out, or he just put out a vinyl 45. A 45, Jay Stone. Dang. He just put it out, and the song is called... The First 100 and Dance Your Blues Away. That's by Andre Fox. The First 100 and Dance Your Blues Away. Mm. From the upcoming album, Little Boy Blues. I like that name. Mm -hmm. And you could get that at www.omarsdetroit.us and go to the 7-inch section. Okay. Uh-oh. I'm hearing Serenade for a Jive Turkey playing in my headphones. And that means I have to talk about something that happened uh, recently that really, really put a damper on my week, Jay Stone. Mm -hmm. You know, we've lost a lot of great people recently and we've been giving our rest and powers way too much lately, including uh, Michael K. Williams from The Wire and Boardwalk Empire, fantastic actor. Also, the HP Lovecraft, the, uh, right. the more recent one. That's right. Uh, what's that called again? The HP Lovecraft? Uh, Lovecraft uh, uh, Country. Lovecraft Country, thank you. Mm -hmm. So he was on that. Michael K. Williams. But, um... I knew this was going to happen sooner or later. One of our guests has passed away, Jay Stone. Mm. On September 8th, 2021, we lost the man playing drums on this track, the brilliant drummer Robin Russell of New Birth and the Nightlighters. And we're listening to Serenade from a Jive Turkey, Serenade for a Jive Turkey by the Nightlighters right now. You Are What I'm All About was a song you heard before that also features Robin. This is a bummer, Jay Stone. Mm -hmm. uh, one of our earliest episodes that we did, one of our first that we did here with uh, Nick in his studio. Sure was. Uh, January 2020, seems like ages ago, we interviewed Robin for our seventh episode. Please go to episode seven of Aced Out and listen to our in-depth interview with Robin Russell, the late, great Robin Russell, who seems so healthy and vibrant. Mm -hmm. And I know he was out there playing recently. I remember, because I was Facebook friends with, I still am with Robin, he was putting out advertisements for gigs he was doing in August, Jay Stone. So oh, up wow. until recently, I still don't know the circumstances of his passing, and I'm sure we'll find out more later. Mm -hmm. But I do want to let you know, 
in addition to you should listen to the episode that Robin, when he was a teenager, he was re- recruited, not auditioned for, but recruited by Johnny Guitar Watson and Little Richard and played with both of those guys. And for years now, uh, up until right before he passed, he's been the legend of Griffith Park. He lived in Pasadena and would always go to Griffith Park to play before sun, uh, sunset, Jay Stone, all the way through the light. That was awesome. Yeah, man, it was hella awesome. And he talked about how much he loved that, and uh, it's a great episode. Our episode, Dare I Say Jay Stone, I'm pretty sure with my Richard is the most in-depth episode with Robin Russell ever okay. in his life. <laughs> and I'm proud to say that. Oh, man. And I'm proud that we could do that for him. Yeah. That's the whole point of Ace Out Podcast. Mm-hmm. And thank you again, JW, because he's the one that hooked us up with Robin Russell to interview. Yep. Thanks, Jack. Thank God for all of that. And thank you, Robin Russell. Rest in power, my brother. Yes. I am very excited to announce our next guest. We got a woman in the house again, Jay Stone. Mm. It's been too long since our last woman guest. Yeah. I believe our last one was Sweet LD. Um, so we're going to have Star Colors. Star mm. Colors. First name, Star. Last name, C-U-L-L-A-R-S. She is a bass player. All right. We got a mm. bass player on the show. Wow. We're a funk show. We should have a bass player, right? She Dang. played bass for bands. You might have heard of these camps. P-Funk. Wow. And Prince. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, who? Prince. <laughs> And I saw her play with Prince, I think, in 2004 in San Jose. I saw her play. Prince did a show there. Uh, That's when he was the Musicology tour. Oh, wow. And the leader of his horn section was Maceo. Mm. That was a great show. Star Colors is going to be on our show, man. That's dope. And I can't wait. She lives in San Diego now. We're going to do a special show for that. I'm not going to tell you what, but we're going to do a very special show for that. I want to thank Gooch Gang. Our previous episode with Gooch Gang, that was a wonderful episode. We got a lot of great feedback feedback with that. It's great to have uh, the Nick Ways camp in here. We had Monster. We talked to Caliban. We have the kids here. And it was a beautiful thing. If you haven't heard it yet, listen to Gooch Gang. Uh Uh, 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 Uh-oh. Another dope beat by Robin. Damn. Mm -hmm. By the Nightlighters. Before we get into the episode, I want to remind you, the Funkonauts, we have a video for our song, I Can Never Be. It's our theme song. We're out gigging. We're out playing live shows. That's right. We got the album, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, the Bible. There's new Funkonaut t-shirts now. Man. I'm used to the classic black Funkonaut t-shirts, Jay Stone. Yeah, brother. But now I got my purple Funkonaut t-shirts. You know what other colors there? we got? Because I know you got a bunch. We got purple. We got Go some more black. Right. We got some like uh, kind of sky bluish. Right. Um, I saw those. And pink. Scott Shepard, the man, executive producers here. We're in the blue room with Waves behind the board. Shout out to Three Chars, mm-hmm. my sister-in-law. Shout out to my sister. 
What up to you listeners out there around the world, listeners in the United Kingdom, Vietnam, Italy, Japan, Canada, India, Greece, Senegal, France, across the U.S. We have Texas, North Carolina, San Diego, Dayton, Ohio, Georgia, Delaware, Illinois, Buffalo, Brooklyn, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Oregon, Nevada, South Carolina, Florida, Vegas, Memphis, Missouri, Alabama, Virginia, Chicago, New Jersey, New Mexico, Minnesota, D.C., Iowa, Cali, Arizona, and Massachusetts. Yeah. Wow. Thank God there's no more places for me to say. Reach out and touch someone. Reach out and touch us. Everybody loves us. Jay Stone, they're listening to us all over the world. They're digging the episodes. They're giving us comments. Love it. You can hear us on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm. Tune in. Overcast. But the real deal experience is at Jay Stone. Acedoutpodcast.com. All right. We got to get into this episode. You guys come back for the conclusion after this interview. We're going to play you a clip of Robin Russell, give him a little tribute. And I'm ready for this. We're going to listen to one of mine and Jay Stone's favorite songs of all time by the P-Funk at all time in general. It's got a freaky opening, and I never knew that this was Maruga during the opening little, right. you know. All that talking drum stuff. (laughs) And I love this song. And our buddy Steve Pennell, he co-wrote this song. That's right. This is about how the funk gets stronger. Now, I can explain this concept. Maruga Booker, he's a philosopher. He teaches us a lot about the music, but I can explain this one. Mm -hmm. You know, most things, Jason, they deteriorate. They get weaker. Right. Things fall apart, as they say. Funk defies the laws of physics. Funk is the only thing out there that gets stronger. Uh. It becomes greater the more you use it, not weaker. Uh. You understand? Yeah, I got it. And that's how we have this song. And on the other side, we're going to hear about how Maruga jammed with Jimi Hendrix. Oh, shit. Let's check it out, and we'll talk to him on the other side. Power by the hour. 
talking with Maruga Booker. How are you doing, Maruga? I'm doing fantastic, and it's wonderful to be with all you punksters on the planet. That's so great. You know, um, I want to talk to you. There's so many things going on with your life, with your music, with all the names of people you've touched who have touched your musical life. Uh, so I want to talk about all of that. But first, because I absolutely cannot wait, and I'm so excited to hear about it, I understand that you did a jam with none other than this guy named James Marshall Hendricks himself, and he was the bass player in that jam. Could you tell us how that came together and when that happened and how? I'd be happy to. Well, I have a friend, Jim McCarty, from Detroit. He was from the Detroit Wheels, and he played with Cactus. He also played with Buddy Miles. Mm-hmm, Buddy Miles. I uh, got a chance to see Buddy Miles and, uh, you know, jam with him and, and we used to ha hang out together and exchange riffs. And one night I uh, wow. went down to, to the club at the scene. And my buddy sometimes would have two, three drums set up. And uh, he did that night. And uh, he was on one set. Mitch Mitchell was on the other set, you mm -hmm. see. And there's another empty set. So I just uh, hopped on and started playing with Mitch and Buddy. Wait a second. And, so uh, wait a second. Whoa. So that's a three, three at the same time. Buddy Miles, Mitch Mitchell, and you. Yes. Wow. And Larry Coryell. Wow. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Okay, so go ahead. Sorry. Well, it was unbelievable. And at the end of that jam, I hear this voice going, hey, man. <laughs> uh, and I look around. He says, yeah, you. <laughs> well, it sounded like I was listening to a Jimi Hendrix record. <laughs> and, you know, my heart started fluttering. And I looked over, and there was Jimmy uh, sitting with a blonde and a brunette. He says, come here, man. Wow. So I came there. And he says, hey, uh, I liked your plan. What are you doing? I, I don't have my axe today, but I, I'd come down tomorrow if you'd come and we could jam. I said, absolutely. I'd right. be honored to do so. And so the next day I went down, and he brought a bass. Wow. And again, there was you know, two, three sets of drums. So uh, I, I had the set of drums next to him where he was with the bass about four feet away. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me, and I looked at him. And then he closed his eyes and wow. see, I was into meditation for several years right. before. And uh, so I said, I know where he's going. So I went inside too, right? Because I'm a meditator. Right. And, uh, and we started playing and I, I, my eyes were closed and I was aware of the inner dark space mm -hmm. uh, inside my head. And I could see sort of like my, Lumin, luminous like in my head 
I could see my hand hitting the symbol. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, the awareness went from my hand hitting the symbol up into my head. And then all of a sudden, I I went out. You went and out. I, I wasn't, and, I, and, and so I wasn't there until I came back. And all of a sudden, I became aware of my head space. And then I became aware of um, the electrical currents going down my arm and my heart, hands playing the cymbals and ending the song. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I looked at him and he looked at me and we smiled and hugged each other and he gave me his number. Hey. You see, so are you experienced? You know, they think that he's just making some teeny bop LSD rock and roll far out album and he's talking to you. Are you experienced? Do you know who you are? Mm-hmm. Do you know who the grounds of your own being is? Beyond perceptions that make us dualistic and different into the unified field where we are coming all from the one same place. Right. And this is what he's talking about. You see, on the deepest level. I learned a lesson because... uh I tried to write him a letter for six months and I just couldn't get the right letter. I wanted to tell him, shit, I want to play with you. Right. You know, right. And, uh, and it never was right. Too mushy or too this or too that. You know, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and I kept on putting it off. And one day I turned the radio on and it said, Jimmy's dead. Uh. Oh, wow. And I said, and I'm putting it off. You know, but later years, I met Jimmy, uh, I met, I met Michael Kwashi, who influenced Jimmy. He was Michael Kwashi brought the limbo to America from Trinidad. Mm -hmm. And so he was the guy who went the lowest underneath the bar on the limbo. Mm. And he talked Jimmy into wearing uh, mystical headbands in, uh, you know, garbs and things. Right, right. Because he wore, yeah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. You see, and and uh, one day I spent a whole afternoon in Jimmy's apartment because Michael inherited it. I even tried on Jimmy's Purple Haze outfit, you know, mm-hmm. just to feel the vibe of it, you know. Where was and the apartment? Whole- in New York? All day in Jimmy's apartment with Michael Quashi, and he used to come and see me play. And, and I, I'm an experienced in the sense that, you know, it's not only a band, but if you see me do drum solos, it could be one, two, three hours long, and it goes into trance. Right. You see, so he used to see this and he said, you know, you're an experience. You're not a band. You're an experience. You're that's what Jimmy was. He was an experience. It's not about copying the name, Jimmy Hendrix experience. Mm -hmm. That's not the name. Right. It's not the name of his band. The name of his band is Jimmy Hendrix. Got you. The experience is, is what you got from it. Are you experienced? (laughs) Hey, let me ask his album cover. It right. has three heads, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, Guru, Dattatri, and the three-headed one, which is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Wow. I was going to ask you, um, let me ask you, did you ever get any insight? Why do you think he brought a bass to the jam? Uh, did he really want to get in there with you with the rhythm, or did you ever get any sense of why he brought that instrument? He, he, he opened up his thing, and he says, I want to play bass with you. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> he must have really wanted to get into it with you then. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Right. 
I, I don't I don't recall the music except starting and ending. Wow. <laughs> I, I can't tell you if I played good, if I played bad, if I was a piece of shit, a nerd or a genius <laughs> or played great because I played with you. I can't tell you that. I don't know. I, I wish I could say that story. Wow. Wow. But on the other hand, I'm glad that I can't because I went somewhere else where it, it's not to be told. It's to be experienced. Right. There you go. Hence the band name. The experience. That is amazing, man. That is amazing. And where was that apartment, by the way, that um, that Kwashi inherited? It was in a village. Ah, oh, got you in the village. Wow, that's cool, yeah, in, man. That's amazing. Yeah, in, in, in the west, I think it was the West Village. It was a small little apartment. You know, I uh, had a couple rooms. Uh, he, he had a bedroom, and and alongside the whole wall of the bedroom was a rod that held all his clothing. <laughs> mm, he had about cool. a 20-foot wall. Wow. And on it with clothing, every kind of different, you know, outfit, <sighs> jackets, uh, shirts, pants, hats. Damn. Uh, Man, I would right? kill to see and all that. It was a very humble apartment. You understand what I'm saying? It yeah. was like Zen-like. You know, it was a uh, sort right. of ornate, like, gypsy style in the, in the living room, you know, and... uh uh, 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 and then he had a bedroom with just a very simple little mat for a bed and, and, and a rod that goes across in the room and, and you know, and about 40, 50 outfits hanging on it, wow. including the purple haze. You know, I just wanted to put it on to feel the vibe. You <laughs> right, I would love to put that on. You told me something else that surprised me. So I never knew that Mitch Mitchell and Buddy Miles actually jammed at the same time together, much less that you did it with them. So they, they had a yes. good relationship then. Yeah, they had a relationship and it was jamming. They were all experimenting. It was the scene. Okay, at the scene, look it. You know, when you go to do the big festivals, you know, you're Buddy Miles. You know, you're Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. But when you go play the top clubs, like the scene, you know, in places like that, right? Right. It's, it's top musicians going there but jamming and intermingling and, and, and exchanging with each other. You see? Yeah. That's the place, you know, where, you know, a George Clinton or a Sly Stone or a, or a Mitch Mitchell or a Larry Curiel, <sighs> you know, could go. Yeah. Because, but Buddy Miles with his big band, well, he was creating in the scene an atmosphere that, Drew all of those musicians like bees to honey. Right, man. They're just getting each other better and better, right? Just being with each other. Yeah. And, and it was this thing where, wow, this is the place where, you know, the dudes hang out. You mm -hmm. know, I was there at the scene for ACDC's record release. Did they show up? No. They mm -hmm. played the record for the audience in the packed club. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, we're one of those kind of record releases. But it, yeah, no, but it was the first people that heard it were mm -hmm. ACD record at that time was in the scene and nobody heard it before that. Oh, which record? Right. Yeah. I can't even remember. If you could remember, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You guys. 
everybody listening to the sound of my voice, but what uh, Maruga Booker can tell us, and uh, he's got all kinds of music, all kinds of names, and all kinds of stories. We're just scratching the surface. By the way, you should go to mediastreamllc.net slash Maruga. That's where you can get all sorts of albums. This guy has many, many albums that you can purchase. You can actually get his whole catalog for less than $300. You can get such albums as Fathership. Hey, that's a good name. Rock the Planet, Boom Zoom, World Jam Della, Cosmic Boogie, and way more. Or if you want to just uh, go to some easy links, go to acedoutpodcast.com, and you can go straight to all Maruga's stuff. Uh, Let's listen to a little bit of that before we talk to him some more. We're going to listen to Maruga, your song, Juju Man. I like that. And I th- yeah, Juju Man. Okay. And I think I recognize somebody's voice in there. Is that George Clinton in there? Yes, that is. All right. Let's hear a little bit of Juju Man here on Ace Out Podcast. Uh. the album juju man i did that in the 90s oh really and wow. what did you do that in detroit like uh what was it? i did it both in california oh, because cool. i was playing with george a lot in california when i was living there right and then i was flying back and um uh because my friends alan shotzi they got 65 percent of 3m sponsored me to do the album so they flew me back to detroit to the disc to have Bob Dennis and Greg Riley and all of the dudes down there work on my stuff. 
And Jordan was there too. And he was laughing because he says, this is sort of like the early punk when they first started off, you know? Yeah, right. And, and, uh, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, George, come on. Now, everybody, because you take it from the worldly funk point of view, mm-hmm. you know, you say, I'm the one is one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's the world. That's the world view. It's right. You know, Booty J's Brown, I'm the one. That's right. Mm-hmm. But, and that's how the church goes also. The church is taught by law. So say one, two, three, four is a law. Right. You know, other guys go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Right? So that's a law that you're going by. One, two, three, four. On the one. It's a law. Yeah. It's a law. And you're going by that and you'll argue about it. But even in the church, the law is there to keep you safe while you're an ignorant child until you grow into knowledge of cosmic oneness. So then when you get cosmic oneness, that's grace. That's not law. So the same thing on the one is the law. Uh, two, three, four. But grace is I'm being in the oneness while I am playing. Ah, so you, you, I see you have the concept of law versus the concept of grace in funk music. Yes. Yes. I, I didn't know there was grace in funk music. That's good to know. Oh, you must know this. Otherwise, you don't even know funk. See, I'm graceful, Jay. You don't even know that shit. <laughs> No, I'm going to say it. I don't give a shit if people like it or not. Watch this. (laughs) I'm on stage with George Clinton playing my conga drum. Look at I'm his yoga masseuse. Right. All the girls want to touch his ass. I already touched his ass because I'm a yoga masseuse. (laughs) But I touched his ass healing him. They want to touch his ass and screw him. (laughs) You understand that? I got it. Wait, wait, hold on, Maruga. Hold on, Maruga, because we're jumping ahead. Let's not let's jump back from touching oh, George Clinton's go. ass. I want to go to wait. I like what you're saying. I just want to. There's some questions I want to ask you too. Let me go back a little bit because I want to ask you about being a masseuse for the guy. You know, George for uh, Bernie for Sly. I know. I'm going to ask you about that. Let me ask you yeah. about going back to 1960 uh, when you're a teenager and you're in a group called the Low Rocks. Yes. Um, what is that? It's kind of like a like a surf kind of sound. Actually, it was kind of like a Fats Domino, right? Um, we took okay. Look, look what every young group does. They take the slow song and make it fast. Right. Take the slow hit and make it fast. You know. So we were the young garage punks of the era fifty seven, fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty. Right. We're young garage punks. Our rocks are low. The other band that produced us, our older group, were the Thunder Rocks. Their rocks thundered, but ours were the lowest. Aha, low rocks. <laughs> low rocks. Okay. Got you. So, but, but, but. So they were our rivals, and our rocks thunder, our rocks are lower. Okay, so then they had a hit thing called, what's the word? What's the word? Thunderbird, you know, that shit. Early rock. You know, early rock. Right. 
where it was hardly words. It was more like Dwayne Eddy in a few words, you know. Yep. I love Brad that type of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, so early rock was in, 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 instrumental, right? Yep. Okay, so what was your question? Okay, so the low rocks. So I mentioned earlier that I jammed with uh, Jim McCarty and Buddy Miles. But Jim McCarty played the drums in the band The Debonairs, which was a wedding band that tried to play rock and roll when it started to be rock. Mm-hmm. And he, I saw him do a solo. That influenced me to want to do that. And my accordion teacher played drums and taught Gene Krupa. And then one day I went to her sock hop and saw the low rocks play in front of 3,000 kids with pink tuxedos. Mm, and they nice. were the low rocks and the girls were going, ah! <laughs> and I said, I want to be up there. Now, a week later, a week later, I'm at the big boys and a guy comes in and says, hey, the low rocks are having a party. They're down three blocks down from here. I said, let's go bust it. So we go to the Low nice. Rocks party, uh-huh. right? Yeah. We all went to school together, same school. So we went to the party. I knock on the door, and the door busts open, and the drummer of the Low Rocks busts out of the door and said, Screw you all! I quit the band! Oh, shit. <laughs> and he left his drums in the basement. <laughs> and I went downstairs, and the guitar player sarcastically said, well, is there a fucking drummer in the clock in the, in the house? I said, he, right here, bro. He said, okay, sit down and play. I played one song, was hired, and then we rehearsed a little bit. And then uh, we said, let's do Fats Domino's Blueberry Hill. He went, da na 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 I found my yeah. thrill. Yeah. Right? That's a cool he song. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> wait, I think we wait. I think we got a better example of that. Let's listen to a little bit and come back talking about low rock. This is the tune that he's talking about, and it's called what is it, what was your version called? Your version? Blueberry Jam. Blueberry that, that Jam. Came, that was my idea. And that's a great title, by the way. In, but we were doing Blueberry Jam, and another group had a song called the Jam. So we were jamming way back then. I love it. You probably had toe jam too. Hey, let's listen to a little <laughs> blueberry jam and come back. Uh oh. I'm swinging now.
Dude, who's the who's the guitar player, Maruga? That was uh, uh, Henry Carraza and Dave Kish on bass, and that was uh, uh, Dulce on saxophone and Mike Facetti on saxophone. You guys and sound great. On, uh, some great drums. <laughs> you, you guys sound really good. That sound, that was a great sound. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's recorded. It's actually... We were seventeen and eighteen years old. Wow, wow. that's great, man. Mm-hmm. And you guys went to the same high school and stuff. Yeah, Pershing High School. How long did this period of your uh, musical life last? How long before you guys split up? Well, unfortunately, it only went to 61, right? So uh, we had a uh, hit for a year. Uh, you know, we, we, we were doing the thing for two years. Uh, it, we, we recorded it maybe 57 or 8, and it took us until then to get it out. And oh, we wow. got... Uh, uh, Jer- Jerry LaCourcier and uh, Gordy Prince, <laughs> they were the promotion men for uh, DECA and Motown. Ah, so okay. We, we, were in, in, we were in indie label, Sabre Records, an okay. independent. Uh, among the first, you know, we were in the first independence. Tamala, uh, Motown, mm-hmm. Sabre Records. Right. Well, you know, Sabre, Sabre Records was in 57. Right. Yep. So uh, we were we were doing that, and uh, uh, we were doing all the record hops, Tom Clay, uh, you know, uh, opposite the Supreme, Frogman, Henry, uh, the Shirelles. You know, it, it was it was a fan. Yeah. Well, we we started the Wall Lake Casino record hops, and got Lee Allen, uh, Jack the Bellboy, to uh, host it. And we did the battle of the bands. We backed up Stevie Wonder with the Thunder Rocks, wow. and uh, we were battling against Del Shannon with the uh, with, with, with Johnny and the Hurricanes. Wow! So he must have been little Stevie then, huh? He was nine years old, little Stevie wow. on Pamela Records, and uh, help him carry this organ up the flight of stairs because the young boy is blind and he can't see. So can you guys please help us to do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. And he was a genius at nine because he played every instrument that was in our band. Even uh, then, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played the organ, the harmonica, the drums, the bass, the guitar, and the sax. Jeez. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, no, no. He was uh, just a genius, you know, uh, but it was a real experience, you know, uh, nobody really won. You know, we just got a, a bunch of kids yelling loud. Right. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and dancing, baby. <laughs> we were rocking the house. That's it right. was energy, right? Hell yeah. It wasn't just the song. It was the energy that you had to put out. Yeah, and it sounds great, it too. It was about the funk, too. It's the energy that you put out. Mm-hmm. It comes from being in the oneness. And then you play on the one from the oneness. And speaking of energy, you used to play, so that morphed into you'd be at like five to ten clubs a night, right? Like just doing these long drum solos, jamming with different people, places like, after hour places like the Chessmate Cafe in Detroit. How the heck did you find this shit out? (laughs) Oh, man, I've been following you around for months. Wow. Yes, this is exactly true. I got the FBI watching Ann Arbor. (laughs) No, but seriously, in, in, seriously. In Detroit, look, I was doing drum solos. Yeah. I had wah-wahs and phasers on my cymbals. Mm. So they would go, 
And I say, in the drum solo, to me, my drums uh, were to wake people up. Right. And to bring joy and wake people up and bring them to their own transcendental true nature within them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay, it's Vietnam time. So I want you people to know what you're doing. Right. You know, so the, here's how it sounds like in a war. Truly. And then I would kick my drums at the people and throw them off the stage into the audience. Oh, shit. Mm. Damn. And I said, that's war. Wow. So it's like a interpretive dance almost. Yeah. And when I was with Paul Winter in the South, I was playing that. With Paul Winter. And yeah, Paul Winter. I was in the Winter Concert on A&M Records. And so I did a concert like that with electronic drums. And I was on acid, you know, and, and I did, you know, and I... I, I went out and did the portrayal of the war. Uh-huh. Half of the people got up and gave me a standing ovation. Well, the other half explicitly were walking the hell out of that place. <laughs> as as they can go. Mm. That's very, right? it's so explicitly polarizing. In other words. <laughs> right. right. And I said, I did my job. <laughs> if that was the sign of success for you, right? <laughs> Yeah, that was total success. <laughs> to, to, total, total. And, and the next day, uh, uh, um, Paul Winter said, you know, Maruga, come here. I said, how you doing? He said, I want you to listen to what you made us listen to yesterday. <laughs> and he played me the recording of it. And my drums. <laughs> now imagine. My drums are not going boom, boom, ba Or doom. Boom, boom, boom. Right. They're not doing that. They're doing. Wow. Okay. Right. Because that's what war is. Yep. That's why you got electric spankings for war, baby. Yes. I see the connection that's now. That's what you're talking about, isn't it? That's right. I just said it in an avant-garde way, and George did it in a funky way, and God bless him, because he's like a, 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 a you know, a black messiah of, of truth. Mm-hmm. And what did George tell me when I was with him at the disc? I was with him for five years, with the P-Funk, with Bernie, with Sly, <laughs> all of them. For five years, my mother was bringing Serbian paprikash. What was the food? You said Serbian what? Serbian stew. Ah, oh, Serbian stew. stew. What's in that? We call it paprikash. Paprikash? Paprikash. Like paprikash. Paprikash. It's made with paprika, so they call it paprikash. Ah, got you. I got you. Now, check this out, Maruga, and I love the game that you're spinning, man. You're like the preacher. Um, I got a lot of stuff in my FBI file about you that I want to run down because there's just so many amazing stories and amazing people. For example, what I was going to well, I was gonna say earlier when you were talking about doing the uh, – the war performance on your drums uh, back there in the cafe. It's kind of amazing. That must be amazing time because you're doing these crazy drum solos, but also you were, you were the leader of the house band, right? For about five years. Yes. Yes. So, so you had that skill too. That's amazing that you lived at the time where they let you do like freak out performances, but also be a a band leader. And you were on the, you used to share a bill with uh, Johnny Lee Hooker, right? You guys were perform as Hooker and Booker. 
Yeah, Maury Weinbaum owned the Chessmate, and okay. he was a very brilliant soul, okay? And he created the atmosphere where this kind of stuff can happen. You got to understand, here Beautiful. is, uh, so, so John, so, so Maury goes, Maury liked me because I was young, I was wild. People like uh, applauded for my drum solos. I went from $5 of drum solo to 100 bucks of drum solo. Shit. Okay? And, and, and so he kept me doing the drum solos because he was a smart man. He said, people like the drum solos, you know. And, and so when he had folk groups during the day, you know, early evening, it was sort of uh, quiet. And I would, you know, rumble it up a little bit. And then they go back to quiet, you know. Mm -hmm. Then in the evening... Uh, but then we started bringing in blues and rock. I would advise him what the kids liked. And so we had blues, rock. I told him, get the blues with goose because they auditioned. I said, that's the group you want to get, you know? So one day he sees John Lee Hooker in his club doing boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And Maury used to call me boom, boom, Booker. Ah. So he said, Maury, Maury goes, John, you do this here song, boom, boom, boom. But I know the drummer whose name is Boom Boom Booker who should play Boom Boom with you. I wrote a song about it. It's on our new album with Booker and Bridges. It's uh, called World Jamdemic. World Jamdemic, that's what that's about? Cool. Well, one song talks about... See, I realized that Hooker was not just a blues man, but he was a spiritual juju man a healer, hmm. but also he was a storyteller. Beautiful. So you could have, and that's going on. And he said, you know, when I was young, my mama, she didn't want me even playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> said, you know, just, it's not a song, man. My, you know, my knock out and I did it anyway. He's a storyteller. Where does that come from? That comes from Grio. Grio, the Grio right. was the storyteller of the tribe. Mm -hmm. He knew the history of the whole tribe all the way back. So if people really? got in arguments, he would say, hey, you know, you're arguing with so-and-so, but their parents and their parents' parents were the best of friends. Right. What are you doing? That's right? heavy. So he knew all that history and stuff. Yeah. Or let's say somebody cheated. Say, hey, you go, you go to the Grio and you say, look, I gave this guy five pounds of weed. He was supposed to give me five pounds of fish, and he never gave me any fish at all. So the Grio goes in front. Dong, ding, dong, ding, 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 dong. Well, Kuto over there, he uh, took this guy for... Five pounds of fish, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, and he starts singing about what the guy did to him. That way you could heal the heal in a positive way and in a musical way. Right. And the guy comes right. out. Oh, okay. You got me. I'll give him, I'll give him his fish. Yeah. It used to like uh, calm things down. Right. Make them see the error of their ways. And then you yeah. used, used to do a double bill with Johnny Lee Hooker though. I was asking you. Um, they're, yes, they're, they booked us Hooker and Booker. Wow, that's amazing, man. So, yeah, you, yeah that's cool. So what I realized is, look at he's just playing African juju. Mm-hmm. Wow. Look, what I realized, now dig this. 
Then the second thing you got to realize, you got to get out of the ego of I'm a drummer and I'm trying to play with John Lee Hooker. Okay. Talk about it. You got to get out of that. When I met, when I, you know, I'm at my house. uh, Okay. First, John Lee Hooker recorded with a stick on his foot beating against a a wood block. And that was the drum. That's dope. And it was tapping his foot. That's great. So the foot tap is the drum. Mm -hmm. So when I want to play hooker, I first start with the foot. Okay. I play John Lee Hooker's foot. Gotcha. Interesting. And then I add very little to it. Add very little to it. Gotcha. So that was the right? theory. Yeah. But that was his drum. Right. In originality. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right? Right. Then, so then so then I said to Stan, okay, Juju, they got a guy playing a, 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 play, playing a, a, a stick against an empty bottle of wine. You know, a, a, mm-hmm. a metal stick. On a, on a bottle of wine, so that's like a cowbell. Mm-hmm. And the other guy is playing a one-string instrument, and some guy is playing a talking drum or 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 a djembe. Gotcha. That's it. Wow! And they're talking this, and they're talking their stuff over it. So I didn't approach it like I'm a drummer. I'm going to try to play. And, and I was very fortunate that before I played with Hooker, that I had the opportunity to play with Jimmy Reed. Wow! And Jeez. This, and when I played with Jimmy Reed, this transferred over to Hooker. I played right. with Jimmy Reed, and he looked at my drums. He said, "Down." He said, "You see the big symbols over there?" I said, "Yes, sir." He <laughs> said, "Them's jazz, and you don't use it." <laughs> nice, got you. He said, see the floor drum, the uh-huh. bass drum, and the snare drum, and the sax symbol. That's the blues. Got you. This is gut bucket blues. And this is interesting what you're saying, man, because a lot of the rock bands later that would play the blues, you know, they're doing like full sets. It's more of a rock thing. So it's interesting to hear about the theory from actual bluesmen, what they thought about what should be used for percussion and stuff like that. And then how you paid attention to that was smart, man. That's incredible. It comes comes from that ancient, ancient thing. And right. when you follow that, you, you don't go with your own ego won't get in the way. Right. You see what it is that they taught you, what it is that they passed on. And we realized that, you know, I tell him, man, I said, you know, like, ah, wow. How can you, if, if you do not love Africa and its mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. then you cannot love the blues or jazz or rock and roll. I could dig it, man. And then also just. Because, yeah, why? Why? Because all of humanity comes from Africa. Right. And then also you're oh, saying, like, you know, a oh, lot of young oh, cats yeah. that got that gig, they'd be all, look at me, I'm a drummer, you know, just kind of. So just That's to the be, first thing they want to do. So yeah, right. I was young, I did that too. Right, but you knew your spots, you know. You knew when to do the it. The highest when, thing I learned as a drummer yeah. is ambience and space. To right. play the space as well as the notes. Play the and space. to create ambience with the space in the notes. I could dig that, what you're saying about space, right. And, 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 and in that, you could create a cooking ambience, mm-hmm. uh, a relaxed, uh, blissful ambience, you know, you know, a, a boogie ambience. Yeah. You know, funky ambience. Yeah. But it's ambience. That's beautiful. It's the ambience. And it's coming from your soul. And from the love of just being there and being so thankful to be able to do it in the moment. In wow. the one, on the one. Wow, man. 
Um, okay, this is like this is just so much. My head's just spinning right now. So let's say I want to hear a little bit more of your music, and then I'm going to talk to you some more. I'm going to skip ahead to uh, some weather report work you did, and then talk to you about it on the other side. This is uh, okay. This is Maruga Booker playing with Weather Report off the album Sweet Nighter. This is a little bit of Boogie Woogie Waltz. Let's hear this. By the way, that album came out in 73, Joe Zawinul, of course, on keyboards. Recorded in 72. <clears throat> Recorded in 72. Herschel uh, Dwellingham is playing the drums on that because uh, they brought in a fat-back drummer. Uh-huh. Right, because uh, the record company said that their music was actually very airy and new-agey. And uh, the yes. record company said, Joe, if you don't get back to, like, Mercy Mercy, you know, we ain't going to give you a record contract. Wow. So, um, the manager heard me playing with Al Cooper at the record plant with John Lennon's engineer. So the guy takes my number and I give him Perry Robinson's number who I stayed with when I'm in New York because I'm living in Detroit. And one day I'm in Detroit and I go visit my friend and I take a tab of acid. <laughs> and all of a sudden my friends come and they say, hey, Maruga, we're going to New York. You want to go? And I said, sure. And I hopped in the car and found myself in New York the next morning. Right? Uh-huh. Tripped on acid all the way there all night. Reading The Crest Jewel of Discrimination, a yoga book I found at the gas station. 
So now we go to Perry Robinson's. This is my friend and who I give the number to. I walk in and he goes, Maestro, they just called you this group weather report. They wow. need a drummer and they want you to come now. I didn't, I keep it on an acid trip. I didn't have no drums with me. <laughs> but a month before that, I gave Perry uh, Israeli Clay Dumbeck as a gift. So he had to let me borrow it. I oh. ran to the music inn. I bought a set of Moroccan clay drums for 25 bucks. Uh-huh. I, I bought some bells and I bought a flexitone, a dinghy. And I got a little mic hook that you blow in. It's like a whistle. And then I went to the corner drugstore and I bought a Fisher Price baby roller toy. Uh-huh. And I went to the session with that. Wow. Right? And I walk in. And they got Herschel Dwellingham playing the trap drums. Uh, and and uh, Daom was playing Spacey. He wasn't playing time. So they wanted me to play time. They wanted Herschel to play time and let the other guys play Spacey around us. Oh, gotcha. And that's what we did, right? And it was the record and company they, asking for that, huh? Demanding it. Yeah. Demanding it. Right? Because they had Mercy Mercy with Cannonball. Right. Right. That was a hit. Give us another hit, baby. Yeah. Look, record companies spend money to promote you, to put you out there, to make you a star. They spend a lot of money. Yes. Okay, so they don't want to waste it. Yeah. On something they know is not going to make it. It's understandable, but they're inhibiting weather report. You got weather report. Yeah. It's so creative <laughs> and awesome. You know, they didn't say don't be creative. You know, but that that that's really good. Look at look look, look what Miles Davis saw Sly Stone and Hendrix, right. and he changed and he got bitches brew. That's right. Yeah, I okay. understand that. Yep. So you got to look at you got to look at the uh, Hendrix and Sly in in the funk yeah. as the, the the new Charlie Parkers on the scene. Yeah, right. The new Miles Davises. That's true. You know, you know, Wayne Shorter and George Clinton went to the same uh, college. I didn't know that. Yeah. That and makes one sense. comes out with the report, the other comes out P-Funk Godfather. Wow. So there is a connection. Yeah. Well, and, I, he, and George got the mothership, you understand. And that's why I'm, a, I'm also an Orthodox priest. So I naturally gravitated to the fathership. Right, of course. <laughs> it all has a spiritual significance changing the paradigm right of how we look at things we got to like start breaking through the walls of perception and get into who is observing this creation and who is in back of all of this the oneness of it all that the one comes from that you even will talk about a one from Speaking of that uh, spiritual things, I didn't want to skip over. I wanted to ask you, did you get the name? Because your name is Steven. Did you get the name Maruga? Was that given to you at Woodstock? Is that true? I met Swami Satchidananda at Woodstock. Uh -huh. And then afterwards, he became my guru. And I studied with him. And I lived in an ashram with him for two years as a celibate monk, wow. meditating seven hours a day. And uh, in the beginning, when I first started studying with him, he named me Maruga. Wow. Wow. And then later, I was made a yoga teacher. 
That's amazing because Woodstock. So Woodstock really affected your life because you guys played. You played on day one with uh, Tim Harden. Yeah. Well, look, I land in the helicopter and there's such a Denanda, and uh, wow. Uh, he said, there's the guy with the drums that plays like Indian. Da 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 da. You know, I said, well, I'll play for you if you like. I started playing. All of a sudden, the spirit says, just play a little bit to show him what the drums are like. But you're really here to ask him a question. You're not here to give him something. So I played just real quickly, showed him what it is, and ended. And I said, sir, what is life? And just wow, then. really? All the people went over the fence, and the guy goes, "It's a free concert." <laughs> and such an wow. points to them all coming over the fence. He wow. says, "See all that?" He says, "Yeah." He says, "That's energy, and your energy, and everything is energy. And God gave you free will, and you could, with your free will, direct the energy positive or negative, and the choice is yours." And he answered it right then and there. Everything is energy. And the supreme consciousness, which is our own higher self. Wow. Has the free will to direct this energy. Positive or negative, the choice is yours. So let us sanctify the world, not destroy it. Sanctify the world, not destroy it. I love that. Did you know Richie Havens before Woodstock, or did you meet him there? Absolutely. I used to bring him the weed at the chest because he was from New York and didn't know where to get it, and I was the guy in the band opposite him playing drum solo. Wow. <laughs> what was he like, man? He was an illuminary. Mm. Illuminary? What do you mean? Because his music was in trance. Mm-hmm. He opened up Woodstock, went in trance. Right. Sometimes I feel like I'm a motherless child. Right. You think that half a million people didn't feel like a motherless child? Yeah. What do you yeah. think we were there for? We, we felt forsaken. Wow. We were all motherless childs. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of the first night. Yeah. Well, glory, glory on night two and three, because, you know, the supreme rock and roll royalty played, you know, but on another level, uh, on the first night, it was the folk people. Gotcha. Yeah, and, right, and you, right. You know, like Joan Baez, yeah. Arlo Guthrie, yeah. Tim Harden. Tim Harden. Tim Harden singing. Simple song of freedom. Right. That's what we were singing. And and, and what, what, what did we do that first day? Who opened up the first day? You know, uh, Swami Satchidananda, because they thought it was going to be a riot. All of those people... Busting in like that, over the fence, everything. Yeah. I saw the promoter there talking to the governor, saying, if you bring militia in here, there's going to be a massacre. Please don't do that. We'll bring the Swami to talk peace to everybody. Let's make this just a peaceful three days and go home. Okay, we'll let you see what you can do. Mm -hmm. Right? So they got Swami Satchidananda there, you know, and, and, and I saw him there. I mean, that guy was, had like a 15-foot aura of gold light around him. He was so beautiful and radiant. Mm. Right. And, and he talked wow. to the people and he said, you know, you're all here. Now, you got a bunch of people who are all there. OK, there's no food and there's no pissers. Mm -hmm. Wow. Perhaps yeah. a million people. Oh, no, nuts. I don't think I can handle that, man. <laughs> okay, do you understand that? <laughs> right. Wow. Right. right? Yes. But <laughs> you are getting stoned. You brought your pipe and weed. Yeah. So. Uh, we had to cool them out. 
and so the first day was the folk group. They cooled everybody out from just arriving. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And we had mellow energy. They kept in people just sitting there mellow, smoking their doobs and their chillums, right? And, right. you know, the nighttime came, and they lit candles for us and lighters and everything. There was like a half a million lights in the, in the night, right? Uh-huh. And then Ravi Shankar plays, which wow. is the supreme trance. So the whole thing was tranced out. And it started off with Richie Havens uh-huh. trancing out for an hour, just on one one song, Motherless Child. Eight. And, you know, right? Trancing right. out, trancing out. What? Keeping a half a million people cool. Mm. So, That's the power of those guys. So day one really served a function, you know, served an important function for the, uh, the uh, festival, man. That is amazing. I can't believe all the stuff you're telling me. He sort of uh, lit the flame. And, uh, and and let it be blissful for a day and everybody calm down and get centered, right? Right. And then all of a sudden the music starts happening. And, you know, such a Dananda says, you people all came here. He says, do not fear because you have this many people here at one time. In India, every 12 years, we have the Kumbh Mela. We're all the saints in the Himalayan mountains and of India all come and gather in one place. And there's over a million people in, in the name of peace and love and harmony. And he says, that's what you all did here. You, a half a million people, you all came in the name of peace and love and harmony. And I'm going to tell the people in India how wonderful you are in that one day America is going to show the Indians how to meditate. Wow, man. Hey, tell you what, uh, Maruga, by the way, and thank you. We're, we're t- listening to amazing so- stories, amazing philosophy uh, from Maruga Booker. Uh, remember to go to his website, mediastreamllc.net slash Maruga. That's where you can listen to all his music. Um, let's listen to some more of his more recent releases. Let's listen to Galactic Function. Get it? J Stone yeah. with a K. Function. <laughs> this is from The Fathership. Now, I like that title. Right. <laughs> the Fathership. And this is Galactic Function. Let's get down with Maruga Booker.
everybody. My, my brain's still floating out there by <laughs> Jupiter. I gotta get back inside my body. Back inside my body on three, two, one. There I am. I'm back inside now. Oh, God, my body feels gross. There goes my asthma again. Hey, you know, when you, go ahead. When you meditate, when you, when you meditate, yeah. and you're not only in your body, which is more dense, you become aware of biorhythms. Okay. And what the Indians call the Nada or Om, and the Christian calls the Logos or the Isan. Mm-hmm. And they become the they're the biorhythms bio of the body, the pulsations of the heart, of the blood, of the atomic structure of the body. So as I meditate more and more deep, I hear these pulsations, and my music becomes more uh, broad and abstract gotcha. ra- rather than uh, condensed. And, and, that's, and, and by having my own studio, I have a chance to go between um, super produced things and super unproduced things and right. to go into uh, uh, being free and experimenting right. and doing things that I don't even know. Right. And that's the beauty of doing it all the time. I want to say, uh, and, and it's always telling me some new story. Yeah, that reminds me, Miles Davis used to say, play just a little bit above what you know. And uh, speak, oh, speaking of what you know, didn't you say Baba Atunde, uh, what, how do you say his last name? Baba Atunde Olatunji? Olatunji. Olatunji. He said, you said that he changed your life. He was also a big teacher of yours, right? Yes. You know, when I was doing those long drum solos at the Chessmate, this uh, gentleman uh, comes in and gives me a, he says, I see what you're trying to do. You know, he says, okay, listen to this shit. And he gives me drums of passion on a cassette. Uh-huh. I take it to my, I'm, I'm staying at my mother's house. So, and uh, so I take, I take it home. I go out and find me an ounce of weed. And I sit in my mother's living room for two weeks, every day, eight hours a day with my little tape recorder playing Baba Olatunji's Drums of Passion. Wow. And I would smoke weed and close my eyes and dance to it and see how it made me move. And then I would get really stoned and lay on the floor and listen to it. And that's all I did for two weeks. And then I took my sparkle drums and I covered them with burlap. And uh, 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 I went and I got me a yoga robe instead of a dashiki. And, and I just got a, like a, uh, sort of like a, a white yoga robe or a, a sort of beige one. And, uh, and I went raw. Right. I let my hair down, and um, I went through a hippie phase earlier, but, you know, in the jazz phase, you know, I was being more cool. I said, oh, I, I let go of all of it. And, I, and, and so here I am now, you know, tribally on the drums. Wow. And then all of a sudden I get a gig in Las Vegas with Freddie Bell and the Bell Boys playing at the Sahara. And I'm opposite Don Rickles. And Don Rickles looks at my burlap drums and he's, holy shit. That's the ugliest set of drums I ever saw in my whole doggone life. And then he did a 20-minute dialogue on my drums. This poor guy, look at him. He's playing over here with Freddie Bell and the Bellboys. He's so poor, these guys must not be getting paid anything. He's got burlap drums. (laughs) Right? Hey, what did your mom think of you uh, spending so much time in the living room like that? 
Was she down with that? She 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 just let me be me. Really? That's pretty that's pretty yes, hip awesome. of them. It's different than the accordion, right? Yeah. Uh well you know, it's it, 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 that was a whole switch from the accordion to the drums. Right. You know, <laughs> when I saw the low rocks, I told you, you know, boom, I became a drummer. You know. But um What were we just talking about? Oh, we're just talking about you owe me like three hundred dollars. <laughs> when are you gonna get that to me? <laughs> I'm I'm kidding with you, Maruga. No, what I want to ask you, Maruga, is let let's go ahead because God, I'm just my head. Would you mind if I just use the three on a bag of wheat because I really need it? So no, you know what? You go right ahead. You go ahead. What else? <laughs> I was gonna ask you. Sorry, I'm a perpetual smartass. Uh, what? I was going to ask you, because you, you play on so many things. My head is spinning, not just like Weather Report, but Fantastic Four, and even with Michael Henderson, on the, Michael Henderson's awesome, uh, solid solo album. And what the innovation I think you bring, right, is like you're the first guy kind of playing Eastern like drums on um, like Western music, I think. Yes, yes. Eastern and, and uh, uh, you know, I saw everybody in Detroit at Motown with percussion playing congas and bongos and maybe some timbales. Right, 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 right. So I went to Israeli and Greek dumbek and Moroccan clay drums. Then, by cool. having That's those cool. instruments, I was not in any direct competition with congos and bongos. Right. right. So if a guy had congos, I could play my Moroccan clay drums or my uh, African talking drum or dumbek with him, and it would be complimentary instead of competition. Yeah, but I used it on Weather Report, the bell, yeah. the dinghy, the, the baby roller toy. It sounds great, too. I'm I thought that's hella cool track. Adios. Listen to Adios. It's got the baby roller toy with some bells and a dinghy. That's on awesome. A, on the Sweet Niner album, right? Yeah, and when I came there, I saw a set of timpanis and I saw some cymbals. So I put five cymbals together and made a clash, crash cymbal. Before it ever came out on drum machines with crash, you know, claps. Mm -hmm. So I made a clash cymbal. So go to do 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 you know, do 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 you know. And so on one song, I used the timpanis and, and, and the cymbals. I just had these little drums, right? Right. And bells and dingy. And you're playing with the biggest weather report, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I'd have known that, you know. And here, I didn't even expect to go there. I just got there because I took the acid trip. And they put it, they really put it in the mix, though, too. You're really part of the ensemble there. Okay, but here's what I wanted to tell you. You asked me the question. I asked you a question about Boogie Woogie Waltz. Oh, yeah, about Are Boogie you ready? Woogie Waltz. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. There was no rehearsal, and I didn't know it, and nobody even told me it was in six, eight, or three, four. Boom, tick, 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 boom, dot, mm -hmm. dot, boom, boom, two, three, and one, right? They just said, we're going to play this tune, mm. right? So you didn't get the time so, signature information. So I got the earphones, and I, all I hear in the earphones is boom, boom. And I hear right? Right. But the boom, boom seemed off because it didn't seem like it was in four. So right. I just went with the and I double timed it in four. 
So I was doing like Africans do four against the three. Mm-hmm. Right. So all the way through Boogie Woogie Waltz, I'm playing four, four in eighth notes. So it's sort of in four, four, but I could accent the fills wherever I want to in between the spaces that I hear. Right, that makes sense now, having heard it. Got you. Right? You're pretty adaptable. And I just had to adapt and hold on like a mother, man. Yeah, that's complicated stuff. Because I didn't want to ruin the track, right. you know, and, and nobody told me what it was, but I heard it. So, right yeah so i'm doing moroccan play drums are doing that now listen to the crack you'll hear it in a whole different kind of way yeah now i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and check that out again and i was gonna say hearing things a whole different kind of way and you carving your niche you were officially asked to join in or at least record with the p-funk i think in the late 70s did frankie wadi and bootsy were they the ones that invited you in yeah, Frankie, Frankie and Bootsy um, came to my house and heard me play the Moroccan clay drum. So this was like in 77 uh, or 8. Big, they call him Fat Bernie, Big Bernie, uh, you know, found me with mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four and told Bootsy and, Ber- and, and Frankie about me. And then uh-huh. I came and I did a session there uh, with them. And then... Um, in 80, George, uh, I got introduced to George again because my friend Joey Z, Jagabandu, was his road manager. And I put a group together where I play guitar. I put it in open tuning and wrote everything in block chords. And, and, and I was doing uh, sort of new, new wave soda jerks. Yeah, and right, my so wife was singing. And she was playing the drums. I'm playing guitar. <laughs> and so I wrote 22 songs in two weeks. And we go to George. And George says, anybody can go to a weather report, be in a monastery like a monk, then come back out and be a soda jerk. I'm going to give him a recording contract sight on scene. So George gave you your own recording contract. Yeah. And I was in the disc for five years, from 80 to 85. And I could use anybody there I wanted. Slide, this, I used slide uh, two or three times on bass. Yeah, that's right? amazing. Wow. The whole thing about the soda jerks is you couldn't play what you knew how to play. Uh-huh. You, you, know, I, you had to play something else. So I said, okay. Uh, you know, Ted Lucas, who studied with Ravi Shankar, I used to play with him. We were in the first folk rock band, the, the Spike Drivers. He taught me how to play open tuning. So I, I went and got to the hot shop and bought a $65 guitar and uh, put it to open tuning and wrote 22 songs in two weeks. And, jo- and that w- got me in the studio with George and Bob Dennis and Greg Riley for five years. Wow. Just about every day I meant to this. Right. And, and George's sons, uh, uh, Daryl and, and, and Tracy, yeah, and, and, and Andre Fox, they were living upstairs, and I was uh, sort of we heard about that. Them. <laughs> yeah, in our house, in our garage was where we practiced, 
and, and we made uh, silk screens in the backyard, and uh, cool. we were the soda jerk. <laughs> That's cool, man. And mm. by the way, you guys, so we're going through all these names. So Frankie Kashwadi is drummer and Bootsy, Bootsy's rubber band and stuff. Also, um, he was mentioning uh, Sly Stone and many other people. And by the way, albums he played on during this period, Jay Stone, mm-hmm. besides Electric Spanky and War Babies, also, Computer Games, yeah. classic George Clinton soul album, Shouldn't Nut Bit, Bit Fish. Oh, man. Urban Dance Floor Gorillas, if you remember that one. Hell, yeah. And then there was a very underrated, very dope project by Bootsy uh, headed called God Mama. Mm. God Mama, right? And that stuff was awesome. And I'm sorry, we touched on it earlier, talking about touching on uh, George's butt cheeks. <laughs> So let's come back to that. So during this time when you were like, uh, the, during those five years when you were with these guys, you're trying to turn them on to the spirituality, right? Like healing, uh, yoga, the healing, you, you were their the yoga light. instructor, right? Yeah, the light of one consciousness. You know, I was telling George at the time what the Swami told me. If you look outside, uh, it spells D-O-G. If, if you look inside, it spells G-O-D. You got to reverse yourself to find your God. So I was just showing, George called me the shaman of the group. The shaman I didn't have of to the rehearse, group, right. I could just come to the gig and play. Right. But uh, I was massaging to try to like open up the chakras and relax the body. Mm-hmm. And so the nerves can flow, the veins can flow, and the uh, divine energy can, can flow evenly up the spine. Right? right. And of course, you know, it was in times. Uh, when they were all dabbling in uh, uh, coke and in freebase, yes. So I saw the tension that that caused in the body, uh-huh. and I took it with them just to see what it was. And I saw that it caused a certain tension. Then I quit it, and then I was able to show them certain stretching and relaxing ways and slow, deep breathing. Because some Joey was trying to teach them how to breathe fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Like that. And I said, no, that'll give them a heart attack when they're on coke. Right? Right. Okay. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, so the massaging sort of, you know, counteracted all of that. You know, yeah. and being able to stretch made us go through our drug periods uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of way where we sort of saved our bodies. Interesting. Yeah, man, I got you. I get what you're saying, man. And uh, how did they take to that? Did it have a positive effect on them? Did, did they get what you were trying to do? Of course. I mean, George, uh, that's why in the chili peppers you see thanks to Maruga for massages. Because the chili peppers would try to keep up with George, take the coke. they call me at 3 o'clock at night after my gig. Can you come down here and massage the chili peppers? You're talking I'd about the chili peppers, too. And, so you're talking about the time they're doing freaky styling and stuff? Yeah, what? on their first album. Right. I, have to go back. I didn't realize you were thanked for Messiah. I'll have to go back and look at the credits. That's cool. Yeah. I jammed with them, you know, once or twice. Wow. Well, they saw, they saw me wear the checkerboard pants and, and shirt and, 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 and glasses. And the next thing, they're on TV on, on, on the awards with checkerboard pants and glasses. Mm. And they were sort of making fun. They said, Mod Maruga. You know, but they got Mod right away. <laughs> and you said the first time you you heard or saw a drum machine was when you were with uh george oh that was a hilarious thing yeah what happened well i'm here i'm hearing this track 
and the bass drum is going you know it's rolling yeah the bass drum and i'm saying that guy's playing double bass drums and he's fast as hell i never heard it that fast i must be really getting old <laughs> I got it. And I didn't for two weeks did not want to ask George who in the hell played that bass drum so fast, so good. And for two for two weeks it was eating away at me. Maruga, you really messed up. While you were trying to invent your not a drum, you weren't practicing your trap drums enough. And look at the way these young kids could play. It's like insane. You're out of business, boy. So at the end of the two weeks, I finally said, George, who in the hell is that drummer you got on this track? Because <laughs> we're missing it, you know, and putting yeah. shit on it. You know, oh, that ain't no drummer. That's a drum machine. You, you just push the button and the thing goes, Durr. I said, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank God. Glory I'm saying, I'm redeemed. I swear, God, I'm going to practice from now on. (laughs) Right? Right. Oh, and by the way, yeah. so at that same time, the record company, again, the record company interfering, they told George that he had to use drum machines on his album, right? That's how you heard it. Absolutely. See, you know, I was at George's house when he called and this lie was there. He's going, man, this thing, man, these moms, they're a record company. These dudes, do they know who they're talking to? I mean, I mean they, they're talking to the fucking P-Funk. <laughs> and they're asking us to get a drum machine. When we got the baddest ass drummer in, in the world, uh, we we right. are the funk, right? And they're asking us to where we don't have a contract if we don't get a drum machine. Atomic dog. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Dang. So the record company kind of gets a little credit for that song in a weird way. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that was done between that was done between uh, uh, both United Sound and the Disc Ltd. Which, uh, with with uh, Disc Ltd. Riley. Right. Okay. Okay. Wow, that's amazing, mm-hmm. man. So you were you were right there for that funk being made. Wow, that's some unbelievable. Hey, tell you what, let's get a feel for this period. Um, Nick, do you have that Nubian Nut uh, clip? Nubian Nut. That's what I call Jay sometimes. <laughs> People didn't know where the beat was coming from, but mm. they knew it had to be another Nubian drum. King Nut is the future history somewhere around 2000 AD. Holding up the shield that's a glowing green, raising his spear that shoots laser beams. Riding in a spaceship up and down the street, tooting at the fine women on the block he meet. A throwing down in the studios, track by track, a letting everybody know the Empire strike back. Another spaceship here, another spaceship there, here ship, there ship, everywhere mothership. Landing in Detroit at United Sounds, where mm. all the fuckers like a boogie down. Because most of all, we need the funk. Oh! (laughs) 
from George Clinton's um, You Shouldn't Nut Bit Fish from 1983. I was playing a Wawa on my... So when oh, you nice. hear a thing that sounds like a, uh, a Wawa... Yeah. That's what I was playing in there, right? Yeah. Right? That's bringing that electronic in there. You were in that zone. That was great. Well, I was going to ask you about speaking of those uh, beats and stuff. What do you? What's the? Uh, tell me about the the push and drag as far as like a drumming concept. What's the push and drag? I know we were talking about that before. Yes, very important to me. I base all my music with it. Okay, it's, it's the essence. It's, it's the essence of life. Even in the Indians, they have tamasic, prajasic, and sattvic which means like middle or bland and excited or lethargic. What does right? it say that is again? Masachic, Wabaka, what is it? Tamasic. Uh, so you have Satwick, which is middle or bland. Okay, Satwick. Satwick. Mm-hmm. Middle, that's, that's middle. It, it, as a food, it would be a yogurt or a vegetable or a nut or a fruit. Okay. Then Rajasic is speedy. So it would be uh, anything like hot peppers, anything speedy. Okay. And tamasic would be lethargic. That you know, after you eat a steak, you're laid back. Ah. Uh, right. Right. So you have those three energies, which is middle energy, and fast to the middle and slow to the middle, like lower and higher octaves. Okay. Okay. And playing the drums, one day I was in Springfield, Illinois, in what they would call a chitlin circuit or black and tan. It was called black and tan yeah, because one or two white people would be there right. and make the black tan, right? right. That right. was sort of the slang that was used. So I was playing there because uh, uh, jazz musicians would go there, you know? So I'm playing and I'm young. And I'm playing with some really great musicians and um, pretty nervous myself. And I'm trying to be right on. Right. And so my hands and my feet were all coordinated equal. Right on. And I got through playing. And an old black drummer comes up to me. He says, hey, man. He says, uh, I like what you're trying to do. <laughs> But, you know, those black folks just don't play time that way. Right. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, the bass drum is playing time, the time, the mm-hmm. tempo. And the cymbals are pushing, so they're a little bit ahead. Okay. And the backbeat is dragging. So it's a little behind. 
and drag got it right right excuse me it was a good joint yes <laughs> no problem at all and i feel you man so and so he knew what you were trying to do but he helped you out he changed my life mm-hmm. he made me a drummer a musician you know what? You're cool, man, because you have a lot of wisdom, but it sounds like you're good at listening, too. When somebody tells you something, you don't miss it. That's how you get the wisdom. Yeah. That's you a listen. good thing to know, man. I wish I knew more people like that. I know a lot of transmitters, but not many receivers. Yes, a musician has to listen. Right. Right. And then you respond. Or Absolutely. I respond. And you listen and respond to what I played. I agree. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it has to be this give and take, uh, like lovers, uh, you know, caressing each other and kissing each other and making love. And Yeah, and dance. Yeah, right? And, and, uh, and it's a dance of uh, energy in a positive way. Yeah, um, I can dig it. It's intuitive. It's not copying. Yes, right, working right. in a framework that you might know or might not know. A framework, but it's intuitive. I got you. I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, what you're laying exactly. down. Yeah, yeah. You know, you see what I'm saying? I, I totally uh, do. You, I love it. I love what I'm hearing, man. Yeah, because you know you could go Mary had a little lamb. You know I could go Bubba the Bubba You know right? Yeah, right. Yep. Right, and it's Jingle Bells. Right, so you could play Jingle Bells, but you could be intuitive with it. Hmm. But you need to know the Jingle Bells first. Right, right. Good you point. You need to yep. know the Mary Had a Little Lamb. Know that You need first. to know the structure of the song yep. before you can take it out. And then taking it out is only boogieing with it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know what else, man, about, about your career that I'm really realizing now is really cool is a lot of cats I know, maybe I'm kind of this way too, they're either one or the other. So either like traditional acoustic drums or like the future mm-hmm. and computers and stuff. But you were, you were always like on the vanguard. So we're playing stuff from the 80s where you're, you're using all this latest uh, equipment. And then also you, you were part of events like Herbie Hancock used to do with like Mac computers back in the 80s, right? Where they would do demonstrations yep. on some freaky shit. You were you were involved with a, a performance I, with Herbie. I go all the way back to the Commodore. Wow! Wow! The Commodore computer. Oh my God! So some of our younger listeners yeah. won't even know what we're talking about. That that was a computer, kids. Hmm. And no, I was yeah. going to say you did a cool demonstration with Mac where they they uh, hooked up like a computer. This is kind of cool for the '80s. 
like to your brain waves and like your brain waves yes, are projected on the screen yeah. while you're playing. That's Damn. cool. We got to get that, Jay Stone, for yeah. fucking that. Tell me about that. Like, how did that work? It was like something poked up to your head. Well, that was what my friend Dan made. He had a concept called Realia and he loved my band. He loved my music. So uh, I got my basic band together with him and his people. And it was a, co- collab- uh, a collaboration uh-huh. between um, uh, computer scientists, you see, right. and musicians. That's and so cool. DJ, I had Bula Gill uh, with me, who was uh, one of the originals all the way back from Burning, one of the first DJs at Burning Man, Bula Gill. And so uh, we played for Macworld, and they gave, her, uh, they gave uh, Peter Gabriel a, a an award for his world music and what he was doing in music. Mm-hmm. And Todd Rundgren was there, Herbie Hancock and Todd Wayne Rundgren. Shorter. Wow, Wayne Shorter. In my band. So uh, uh, we were going to play. So in my band, I had a the thing set to my head. Uh, we were direct to the uh, satellite going to England to Brian Eno's club. And so when, when we were on, they were listening. When uh, we were breaking, we were listening to them. Whoa, they were and doing we were satellite then. connected to Prince's Club. Prince's then Club. Then on, on the stage, they had triggers, and we had little uh, kids, uh, you know, uh, five to ten years old, uh-huh. dressed like fairies uh, with wings, and uh, uh, walking on the uh, real pretty, like, on, 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 on this large stage. And they mm-hmm. were triggering, you know, uh, Chimes and bells and wind and things like that, right? And all around the stage was triggers that the audience could play, which would be sounds of animals and streams and wow. uh, uh, things of the world, right? Right. And uh, I had my electronic uh, drums in my group. Now, Herbie Hancock was trying to get his computer going because he was going to do a computer thing with Wayne Shorter. Wow. And his computer malfunctioned. Damn. He said, screw it. He goes, <laughs> and he heard me rehearsing my band. He goes, Maruga, my shit ain't working. Could we just play with you and be, let that be it? I said, I'd be honored. <laughs> so, so then uh, he played with us that set. And before we played, Todd Runder is there. I'm going to say, so you're going to jam with us, Todd? He said, I, go, I, I don't know nothing about playing with Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter. He said, I don't, I don't do their jazz. I said, Todd, <laughs> I'm asking you to be Todd Runder. Right. Yeah. Wow. I don't give a shit if you play jazz. <laughs> I want you to put Todd Runder into the jazz they do to the music, funky music I do. Yeah. He goes, oh, okay. Right, he was cool with that. I did have that recording somewhere. I got that recording somewhere. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, got to hear that. Hey, let's. Um, it's been so great talking to you, Maruga, and we could just go on and on all night. I want to make sure we don't leave before. Let's listen to a little of the Soda Jerks project you mentioned. So this is the project yeah. you fronted for George Clinton. Let's listen to the clip of the Soda Jerks. This is a song called the Soda Jerks. And this features our man Maruga Booker. Soda jerks. Just the ice cream. Soda chicken. Oh, listen to this bass. Soda twist. Soda honey. Soda rock. This is freaky, man. Soda honey. 
It almost sounds like Frankie goes to Hollywood right there. on that track do you remember was that a sly one Sly Stone. i thought mm-hmm. so because it kind of had his feel yeah. like I, I remember that stuff from like fresh i can hear him on there that is freaky man that is so cool i mm-hmm. dig it so um but you only put out the one song from this project right like later on uh george no, put- i got 22 songs that i never put out no i know so you're gonna put the songs out or the album out or it's like a double album yeah man. i want to do that i'm gonna work on that now Hell yeah, man. That's unbelievable. I'm, I'm That's sure people joke. just love that, especially nowadays. People just got to hear stuff like that. Hey, but man. you know what else yeah, I go got? I have, I have George on a blue screen lip syncing the whole Rock the Planet album with me that I could make into a live video oh. of us back then. Nice, man. So you got stuff that you could do, man. You got more and more material to come out. You're sitting on stuff. Hey, Maruga, I want to ask you um, like a lightning round of questions because we're we're about the time where we got to go. But I still have a a few questions I just got to ask you before we go, okay? First first of all, I forgot to mention, and I would be horrible if I forgot it, so I want to make sure I put out, you're actually also an inventor, and usually when they call musicians inventors, uh, Jay Stone, mm-hmm. they mean metaphorically, figuratively, you can make an argument. Okay. But I'm talking about a patent, like a patented uh, invention. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. You invented the Nada drum, Maruka, right? Absolutely. And that was a patent yes. that got put out in, uh, you got the patent in 85. And how how is that and, manufactured? Uh, in about maybe uh, 69, 70, uh-huh. I was meditating and I got the idea in meditation. Wow. And, so, and, and, it, and it took me uh, all those years to get it to manifest it, get a patent, and get it out. What was that process like, if you could just describe it? Like, how did you get it manufactured? What, describe the Nada drum, or what's the, what was the new invention about it? What was different about it? Well, the Nada drum is a cross be, uh, uh, between um, uh, a dumbbag and a talking drum. Got it. And it's a flotation bar. It allows me to uh, take the head off without removing all the strings that are uh, uh, held to the 
you know, that you squeeze it with. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I could just take six screws and the flotation bar is holding all the strings uh, there without taking them off. So I could switch the head on really quick. But it also sounds like a dumbbell, but changes pitch like, um, uh, like like a talking drum. Right. And when I electrify it, it's the thing that's going or like on the double you hear that's not a drum electrified, right? Right. But so what happens is you get an idea in your head. It comes. You get an idea. It comes from the intuition. Uh, it wasn't there before, and all of a sudden you you know how to do this. And uh, you go to a lawyer, and the lawyer says, draw it out. So then you draw it out. Mm-hmm. Then you go back to the lawyer, and the lawyer says, okay, now that you drew it out, make me one. So then you go and make one. And you try to find all the parts, and you don't know nothing about it, and you don't know nothing about going to see uh, a, a regular professional who makes, uh, you know, demo models for people. Right, you know? right, right. Right. <laughs> But you learn then to do that, and then and then I uh, I remember when I was with the Low Rocks, my friend Crow Don Novak was making uh, Corvette uh, uh, cars with fiberglass and, and making conga drums with fiberglass in '59. So I called him. I said, "How do you make the fiberglass drum?" And he says, "Well, Hoss, he says you just do this, this, this. Go down to fiberglass place. They'll give you all the stuff. Blah 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 blah." So then I went and I made a mold. I, I drew a picture of how I want the drum to be. Mm-hmm. I took it to a wood guy. I said, please mold this at this size. He molded it. Then I took it to a fiberglass fabricator, and they uh, made a um, uh, a mold, and then you were able to put fiberglass in that and then open it up uh, after it dries, and you got a full shell. And then you got to uh, go to uh, somebody who's going to make you the rims, a tool and die guy. And then I went wow, to my yeah. dad, who was a shoemaker and could sew the straps. And so I had the tool and die guy, the guy that's making my shells, the guy with the straps. And you learn to make all of that. And you got a good drum, and you can give it to the patent guy, and he gets you a patent. Mm. That is cool, man. That is so cool. You're you're a drum wizard. Yes, sir. I'm working on a bass that you could play underwater, but my uh, my test guys keep get dying. So I'm just come. <laughs> I'm still working on it. <laughs> Maruga. You keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, I keep hiring guys on Craigslist. You know, they never come back. Maruga, I also yeah. want to ask you. You mentioned Peter Gabriel earlier. This is just a random yeah. question. Didn't you like rehearse with him to go on tour, but you didn't do the tour? What happened there? You know, I went on tour. You know, I went to rehearse with him, and I rehearsed, and I became good friends with him. And uh, he had a drummer. The drummer was from the group Orleans, okay. and he was a percussionist in Orleans. And always wanted to be the trap drummer in Orleans, but never was. And so when he had a chance to go with Peter, he was happy because he was able to be a trap drummer. But then as a drummer, as a percussionist, uh, he had this guy that made all this electronic percussion and gave it to him. And it had cowbells, it had this, it had that. So now Peter's hiring me to do the miscellaneous things, some hand drums and cowbells and shakers and things that are just like on his album, right? Right. And as we're playing, uh, you know, uh, the guy would say, oh, don't play that. I got that on my electronic thing. I'll let me do it with the electronic. Uh, you play something else. So, yeah, well, then you run out of things because there's only so many things to play that's on the album, right? Right. So that kept on annoying me. 
And then they were playing, and they were very, very, very loud. I'm playing with a cowbell, right. and I have a big stick. And when I got through playing the song, my cowbell was bent in half. Jesus. I said, holy shit, I'm beating a cowbell. This is not even fun. Right, right. And so then, then, then I tell him, Peter, I said, hey, Peter, I said, you know, you should listen to the P-Funk. Mm. You told him that? Because. Yeah, because I just came back from Bernie, uh, Big Bernie. Where I did that session in '58, whatever it was, you know, right or '57 or '8, and I did that session with uh, with them at um, oh, that studio is going to come to my head. Uh, uh, so I did a session with the Funk just before I went with with, with Peter. Right. So I said to Peter, you know, you know what you should do, Peter, and he said, "What?" I said, you, "What you should do." is um, uh, play like the funk on the bottom. Funk on the your, bottom. And put your Genesis thing up on top. Uh-huh. He said, I ain't never going to play none of that black music. <laughs> Peter Gabriel said that? Yeah. The, the, you know, well, you know, he did say that, yeah. Wow. Uh, he, he's not going to play that music. Uh, they were Genesis, you know, playing that music. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not belittling him. And, and, and uh, he's a wonderful guy, and he's done much for the black community and brought the African drummers and everything. So yeah, I was going to say. Then I go to the next rehearsal, and I'm playing my so I play some sock cymbals with the drummer, and uh -huh. I'm <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know, and sort of discoing, and all of that was going on, right? And, and, uh, uh, I was so I was playing that salsa beat on the sock cymbals, and the drummer says, "Don't do that." So I says, "Okay, I won't." And I took him, and we're playing in a big studio. It was where uh, Star Wars was made in wow. England, and so I threw my cymbals down uh, on, on 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 the floor, and I says, "I won't play them no more." Right? <laughs> and then the break, uh, so then on the break, the manager says, "It doesn't seem like you're very happy, does it?" I said, right. "No." He says, "Okay, we'll give you your money. To get, we'll give you a ticket to go back." Dang. Well, that's cool. They did that, yeah. man. Hey. Yeah, and and I wasn't I was I wasn't finding no creative niche. There was uh, yeah, right. And the guy kept on saying, "Don't do this. Don't do that." So yeah. I felt boxed in. I felt it was mm -hmm. uh, too top forty. You know, yeah. you know, you got to play this record. You know, too too. Uh, I I felt he was being uh, what, what you would say. Uh, um, uh, too stiff. A cover band to his own self. Right. I see. Right. Wasn't letting it do something different. Right. Yeah. Where Miles Davis could go and play something, right. and I understand it's an idiom, okay, but you know, but Miles Davis could go play "Bitches Brew" a hundred ways, a hundred times. You right. know, he's he's they're grooving. You know. I've even seen rock bands like Living Color play differently in live, play the song differently. Yeah, exactly. Bruce doesn't play nothing to say, but some rock stars want to play exactly the way the record is. And I don't call that playing music. I call that covering. And, you know, Miles will just tell you, oh, shit, your album is only something that will get people to come to your gigs. Right, right. <laughs> right. It's like right? a commercial for your, and, your and, gig. And, 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 and Peter was treating it as something to get people to go to his album. I want to make the album <laughs> so perfect that we're going to play this perfect uh, like the album. Right. Instead of saying this album is what we're doing in here now we're going to play off of that shit but everybody
everybody's I got see. their own way, and I'm not going to judge it. I just didn't uh, get along with that. Yeah. And by the way, that's an interesting insight. I like what you're saying, and it's good to hear about you know how things work behind the scenes. Because if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. But you did. Sounds like you gave it. You really gave it a chance. Let me ask you this though, because we kind of skipped over something that I, I'm looking at my FBI file. I'm finding it hard to believe, but you probably did it. Were you really celibate for two years, 1970 to 1972? You were a celibate yes. monk on purpose? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't speak unless I was spoken to. That's discipline because you didn't speak unless you were, you didn't speak unless you were spoken to for how long? For two, those yeah. two years? Yeah. That's discipline, man. Mm -hmm. I could probably do it, but I'm just a jerk. You know, I don't want to talk to people anyway. But you seem like you like to no, socialize and talk. it's a matter of shutting yourself up. It's just right. a matter of shutting completely up. Mm -hmm. And when you shut up completely, then you can completely see your true nature and your true self and your true being, the ground of your being. Like, you know, I could be celibate last year because it was COVID, but that was like the early 70s. There's still like free love coming off Woodstocks. So that's discipline, man. <laughs> I admire you for that. Uh, well, you know, I was in California in one of the ashrams that had a nice wow. swimming pool, and some of those yoga girls were uh, swimming, swimming nude because I was among the very few that were celibate there. You know, they were all uh, yogis, and but they weren't celibate. Right. Right? And they're experiencing all, you know, swimming in a pool with no clothes on, you know? Oh, right? God. Oh, my God. So, so uh, you're celibate when you know you can swim in a pool with people with no clothes on. And, and uh, not get aroused and, and maintain control. And not talk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, wow. and, and you maintain that way. And you learn how to maintain that way. You, you really learn a lot. I bet. Well, I bet, man. I mean, this is blowing my mind, just the things you've done, some of the things you've gone through. One thing I like to hear, because I like to hear about unusual recording techniques, you tell a story about how Sly Stone had you guys doing like a group vocal like you guys had no headphones. You're like, what? He stick you like in a closet or something, and you like open the closet door. How did? Well, you really did your homework. Yes, we we were in the closet. We were at the disc, and in the disc, there's like a little closet where they put all the tapes and microphones and things. Right, right. And and so uh, he he didn't want to go into the studio with earphones. So right. what we did is went in the closet and left the door open about five inches so we could hear the big speakers. And we had a mic right there by the door. Cool. And we all sang into it. Na 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 na. And 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 I saw that he broke the rules. Right, right, right. You see that he broke the rules, and that he has ways of getting his magic. Right. You know, and so we, because we felt it coming through the big speakers. So we felt like we were singing with the big band. Right. Right. That's amazing. It's so out the box. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was, I was playing and he was walking through and he shut the door and closed There's two doors and he was on the other side mm -hmm. and I was playing and I, I took a breath, you know, I just breathed in a side like that, you know, he says, I'll do it over again. I can hear the breath. <laughs> and that's with the two soundproof doors being closed. Right. Wow. Wow. And he's just walking through. He didn't have no earphones or nothing. Wow. And he, and he could hear that I took a breath. And he says, no, the breath, you know, causes just a little offness. Do it one more time. Yeah. Well, I love to hear that whenever 
people talk about these guys, Sly, George, all these people. It's like they just talk a lot about drugs and being crazy. And it's, it's fun. It's funny stories. But you're really talking about the focus and the music and the skills these guys had. And you said, like, Bootsy and George, they really knew the music business. They understood how to finish a project and put it out, right? These were focused gentlemen. They knew, they, they knew every aspect of it. You know, like getting your songs copyrighted, you know, mm-hmm. owning your songs, owning your material, wheeling and dealing, how to get a million dollar upfront for your album. You know what I mean? Right. You can talk about drugs all you want, but not everybody gets a, a million dollar advance. Exactly. exactly. Not everybody rents the disc for five years straight. Yeah. Right, they had that, that uh, studio for five years straight, right? Heavy duty. That's so yeah, awesome. Yeah, give somebody one, 200, uh, one to $200,000, you know, for a year. You know, 120000 You know, how much would you make in a year? Oh, 150000 bucks. you know, right? You're right. Okay, right, I'll right. give you 150000 and the studio is mine for the year. Damn. In, 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 <laughs> wow. When I don't use it, you could rent it out. Ooh. So when he wasn't using it, he told me and I had it. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right? You got that soda jerks out because, there. <clears throat> yeah. But the problem was it all went up the nose. They didn't take care of the business 100%. Right. And so they lost it. Right. But still, man, but those guys were geniuses. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be found. maybe maybe what was found was us living together for five years and meditating and doing yoga and massages Uh and mother bringing paprikash and people living all together and the funk hall living in a studio for five years with with three studios going on at the disc and a studio going on at the at the united sound Right? Right. Oh, my God. And all of this here is music that was lived and it was put out. Right? right. So all of that was done and it was all put out. You're talking about it now. And they might have flubbed up on this or that or that. Well, sure. Because, you know, what everybody was relying on to keep them going cost a lot of money. Right. But (laughs) they still, amongst that, amongst losing it, created all of that genius work that you call the P-Punk. Hell that you yeah. Call yeah, yeah. And you, you were see? part of it, man. Oh, and by the way, I love I your quote. I saw you have a quote. Uh, the funk is the stench after real hard work. And I agree with yeah. you, man. Yeah. It's, it's the stench that you smell after you've worked really hard. Right on. And you smell the nasty... It, you were hot, and all of a sudden you get cold. Right. You know, you were hot from working, and you stop working, and all of a sudden you get real cold. Right. <laughs> and the stench is hot, cold stench. Man. And you're slimy, greasy, and grimy. Yeah. I got you, brother. <laughs> right? You're right. <laughs> and, and, and when you're on the road with the funk, and you played for five hours on that stage nonstop, Hey. Your meal was the meal that you got at the buffet before you started playing. <laughs> right. And then you go back into a bus and you didn't have a chance to shower. And you're in a bus and you're driving another 200 <laughs> miles to get to the next place to set up, to get the buffet, to eat and not have a shower and get right. back in the bus and sleep in the bus for another three or four or five hours and do that for two months. 
then you'll smell the funk. Hey, I got something for you, Maruga. Funk is the only is the only type of music where you can have grease and grace at the same time. What do you think about that? Absolutely, that's what we're talking about. I learned that from you. <laughs> I learned that from you, Dad. I forget what I even say. I liked it though. You're the father on the fathership. And Maruga, I mean, I'm just having so much time talking with you. I didn't even really get to really uh, poke your brain about, I guess we'll do it next time. I want to talk to you about Fantastic Four and Michael Henderson, but we're just running out of hard drive space over here. Um, yeah, that gonna, was we'll talk to you Bernie. Again. He brought me over to do that, man, and that Bernie was really did? something. I really liked it. Fuck yeah, man. Tell you what, when, uh, when, uh, when we go to the outro, we'll play a clip from that too, just to show the folks what you played on. Maruga, uh, what are you going to do... Uh, what are you going to do the rest of the week? What do you got on deck? What do you got planned? Well, well, our, our, uh, 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 I'm working on a Sitting Bull album, which sitting is going to be Spiritual Sayings of Sitting Bull, okay. uh, together with the drumming and uh, visual photographs that I put to art, and it's going to be uh, about a half an hour segment. Great. It's actually uh, being um, uh, put into the uh, Sundance Festival. Film Festival. Okay. And our new album, uh, All Night Long with Cosmic Boogie, All is uh, coming out. Cosmic Boogie. And you, you can get me on, um, you know, uh, Maruga Booker Instagram or Maruga Instagram. And you could also get me on what you just said, which is uh, MediaStreamLLC.net. And we got all our music up there. And I'm working in the studio. Uh, I'm working on artwork. I'm working on t shirts. We're uh, making. Uh, uh, clothing. We're making music. Great. We're making videos. Great. I'm working every single day, all the time, nonstop. Well, check you out, man. Wow. And by the way, uh, thank your son. Thank Aaron for uh, helping me out with my research. Uh, he helped me out with my FBI file. Oh man. And uh, yeah, man. He knows more about me than I do. <laughs> I know it, man. <laughs> I know it. And he did. He did a really great job helping me pick out songs because you play on so many songs. It's just like, you know, he really helped me pinpoint that. So thank you so also, much. Smell my finger and Love Peppy the Pill Taker. Pill popper. Oh, oh yeah, Peppy the Pill popper. You play that on that as well. You play on so many yeah, things. And I you play Harry on Dope Robinson, Dogs. The great Harry Robinson, my clarinet is playing that too. Who? Perry Robinson. Oh, on the clarinet. Clarinetist. That's so cool, man. And you really bring that avant-garde spirit to the P-Funk. Thank you so much for talking to us, man. I'm I'm smelling a little funky myself, so we need to get some air. (laughs) I'm sorry if I won't go on long tangents instead of short answers. Okay, here's here's what we got to do, okay? (laughs) Next time when we do an interview, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more energetic. (laughs) <laughs> and just try to be more talkative. You know what I mean? You really. Okay. Okay. I'll try to do that. <laughs> Other than that, it was great. It was a little bit back tonight. Yeah, man. I mean, come on. No, I, I, of course, I'm being perfectly sarcastic. You're the opposite of those things. And uh, this is a great format to talk to you, man. And uh, we're going to talk to you again because we've only scratched the service. Just gave the service a little scratch. We got to dig in there more. You're not sarcastic. You're (laughs) sarcastic. All right. Will you tell my mom that? She thinks I'm a smart ass. All right, man. (laughs) Have a good night there in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yes. 
And, uh, and uh, God, God bless the whole world. We are one, a one world, one global, and one cosmic people. Basically, one is the magic we, word. Yep. And keep it on the one. We will, and, brother. And uh, God in everyone and everywhere. And God is the creative power in us all. And God remember, bless you. And we got to give it that push and drag. Don't forget the push and drag. You got to give the push in the drag, and that's what makes it uh, feel good. <laughs> All right. Smell you later, Fathership. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Right on. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Have, have a good night, my brother. spitting so much game we i didn't even get to talk to him about working with michael henderson i mean the bass player on the on the corner and that and that solid Sick. man oh my god mm-hmm. there's so many other things also he played this detroit soul band this really underrated uh fantastic four mm-hmm. and i had a great cut mark for that maybe we'll we'll, we'll play that later we just got to interview him again no doubt. All, he has so many other solo joints to it just amazing with great like guest artists and amazing stuff but uh, anyway, what do you think of that, man? I mean, I'm exhausted, man. man. I mean, I he could. was intense. Yes, he had me going. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Put me in a trance sometimes, had me floating. Yeah, I was going to say, he had me floating. <laughs> <laughs> he, remember, he reminded me of that Hendrix song. He really got me floating sometimes. But, but you know what? He was making sense to me, man, too. Yeah. A lot of his principles, I can really, really get with him. Mm-hmm. So I hope the people out there, not just the, the, the heads that know what we're talking about, that know what we're listening to, 
you know, but the, the more novices out there, yeah. the younger kids are listening to our stuff because we do have younger people listening to our show too, mm-hmm. Jay Stone. So I hope they can grow with some of those concepts. I really like what he said about focusing and listening as a drummer because there's a lot that, yes. that don't really uh, know what that is. Um, you know? Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a lot that really, really don't know what that and coming is. Coming from somebody like him with that history and his... his uh, you know, his library of music, you'd have to take heed and be like, damn. Okay. Dude, I was afraid to even mention a couple of things because it was just so hard to keep the like the interview focused because right. he has such a life. It just goes off the pew, 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 yeah. so many different directions. He did a song with Dylan and uh, the poet Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to ask him about that. I mean, he did that in the 60s, man. Sure. And then also, um, I mean, he did so many things. And then he also was even involved in like punk rocks and like yeah. some of the punk rock. I mean, oh my god, he I touches so he touched so many much stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, so anyway, uh, remember you guys, we got uh, exciting stuff coming up. I do want to mention uh, coming up real soon after this episode posts on what October sixteenth, Jay Stone. Mm-hmm. Remember our brother, another very high energy percussionist. Uh, episode eighteen of uh, Ace Out Podcast. Remember Richard Segovia, the mayor of the mission, the, one of the founding fathers of Latin rock. He has his uh, big event coming up called the, it's going to be live music, but it's for a mural reveal. Remember Jay Stone, we explained that uh, Richard Segovia, he has a house in the mission district of San Francisco, which is covered with a beautiful mural with hun- at least a hundred uh, Latin rock musicians. Mm-hmm. And we were there for an event last April where we played, where he unveiled a Bill Graham addition to the mural because they're always adding things. Yeah. And we saw the guy add it in real time. We saw That's him right. put it up there. They're going to reveal one on the Escovitos uh, coming up. That's right. It's going to have, uh, of course, Pete Escovito, but it's even going to have Sheila E. Mm-hmm. It's going to have everybody in the family. You know, it's a big musical family. Um. They're going to be adding other people as well. And then there's going to be live music. Um, Richard's band, Puro Bandito, will play, of course. Also, will be featured Midnight Soul. Midtown Soul. Midtown, sorry, thank you. Also be featured Midtown Soul. I'm just checking, making sure Jason's paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos Fontana Band, Paris Escovito, and DJ Bobby. Uh, we're also going to be involved as well, me and Jay Stone. You're going to see us there. And uh, it's going to be a great event. So what they're going to do, if I believe, I'm not mistaken, Jay Stone, um, they're going to reveal the mural at the location at yes. his house in yeah. the, uh, where we where we played. Mm-hmm. But then everybody is going to head over. It's very close by to La Raza Park where we're going to see some live music. Yes. This is on uh, October 16th, 2021, La Raza Park in San Francisco. It's totally free. It yeah. starts at 11 a.m. You know, have your papers together. Bring your mask just in case, even though it's outside. And that's going to be great. The mural reveal with Puro Bandito and Richard Segovia. Did you see who's headlining? What's that? Did you see who's headlining, though? Well, I'm trying to... Isn't Malo, it pure? Oh, oh, God. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> My bad. Suavecito. The way this is written, I didn't see that. I know. It's, it's kind of in there. So, so Puro Bandito. Okay, so there before. And the headliner, oh, my yeah, God, man. is Malo. Is Malo. 
And I, we happen to be close personal friends now with Ishmael. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and uh, Ishmael Versoza, the great keyboard player, which we had the honor of playing with. Shout out to Ishmael. Yes. What's up, my brother? Malo's the headliner. Oh, my God, that's such a bad. Okay, we're going to work that out. We'll edit it where it sounds like I said Malo first. <laughs> you know, one of those things. Okay, uh, just a couple more things, then we got to get out of here. It's really way too hot in here with the no AC. We have to turn the AC off when we're recording. I just want to mention my favorite TV show right now to watch is What We Do in the Shadows. It's a comedy Jay oh, Stone yeah, about I've vampires. Have you seen yeah, that? That is the funny. funniest <laughs> goddamn show ever. It's kind of like The Office with like vampires, and yeah. it's so fucking funny. And the crazy dude who's not a vampire. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> he, well, there's like one guy's an energy vampire, yeah. and then one, yeah, then you got Guillermo, like they're familiar. I love that show so much. It's so good. What we do in the shadows. Also, I want to give a little review um, on Showtime. They have a new documentary about Rick James, Jay Stone. Hmm. It's called, now the title, I, I don't get the title. The title is called Bitchin', The Sound and Fury of Rick James. That title is almost as bad as All By My Side, that Rick, that uh, Jimi Hendrix movie title. I don't right. get that either. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of that title. I don't totally, Bitchin', I don't get it. But yeah. it's pretty good documentary. It's in-depth. It's a couple okay. hours long. It goes more in-depth than other Richard, uh, I'm sorry, right. um, Rick James projects go. Yeah. Kind of back to when he was a kid all the way through. Uh. It deals a lot more with the Stone City band than they usually do. They talk to the guys in the Stone City, City band. They even show what they're doing now. However, it kind of still misses the mark for me, Jay Stone. It's mm-hmm. still a little bit too much about debauchery and screwing around and mm-hmm. getting arrested. Mm-hmm. And not enough, although there was a lot, but not enough of the music. Rick James is a multi-instrumentalist, yeah. brilliant musician. I would love to hear more about specific albums and how they're recorded. Mm-hmm. However, it did give Rick his props as a producer and writer. Yeah. But, you know, it, it could always be a little bit more for me. I think they focus enough. You know, they already did Tales from the Tour Bus with all, you know, the parties and the right, crazy right. stuff. It's nice to hear about. It gives some background, but I always want to hear about the music, and that's what we're here. We're about here that's at right. Ace Out Podcast. Remember, our next episode is going to have the great and the wonderful Star Colors, a bass player, finally a bass player on the show. Going to have her show me some pointers. She was with P Funk and with Prince, and that's going to be absolutely fantastic. And the very last thing I want to leave you with is. I want to play a clip of Robin Russell just to make sure people are excited about wanting to check out his whole episode. So the one that we picked is one where he was he was talking about getting compliments from other drummers. Oh, a Prince drummer. And then he that kind of led into Jay Stone him talking about what he think what he thought his best drum work was. And also why New Birth really never continued like other bands did. So you'll remember when you hear this, Jay Stone. Okay. So let's listen to this clip. This is from episode seven. Wow. Way back to episode seven, Jay Stone, when we were young and foolish. <laughs> Ace Out Podcast with Robin Russell. Let's play the clip. John okay. Blackwell, who passed away a drummer. few years ago. Prince drummer. Prince is, mm-hmm. yeah. John told me, I mean, this guy taught drums at at uh Boston Institute. Yeah, right. Berkeley. John told me he could not figure out what I was doing on that song. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. That's why I love that song. And I, I said, come on, John. And he said, no. What what were you doing? He praised 
that song. I mean, that's one of the biggest compliments wow. that I've ever gotten. I don't know. Birthday, that album, I think, is is my finest work. Okay. Sweet. You know, um, because afterwards, the group started going down, and I didn't feel right. I don't know if I should say this, you know, but, you know, it just it started disappearing. It wasn't the feeling that was there in the beginning. The vibes changed. Well, why was that? Yeah. But what was it? Uh, ego mm-hmm. from those that were in control of the group. Ego within, which is what destroyed New Birth. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at look at look at Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> They're still going strong. Yeah, strong, mm-hmm. strong. Look at New Birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's because of what's happening within the group. Mm-hmm. It's you know, the, you know these these egos and greed. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning, it was beautiful. I mean, we we were like a happy family, right? Because you were hungry. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's like, dude, when somebody passes away like that, like mm-hmm. you just, yeah, you think about, like I wonder how some of those cats feel about the, the eagle trip he was talking about. He was making a good point about like, you know, like Earth, Wind, right. and Fire versus like New Birth. And like, right. it all seems so meaningless, like fights you get into and ego yeah. stuff you give people a while, right? Totally. And uh, also, just to clarify, you guys, he was talking about an album when he said "Birthday." That's a 1972 New Birth album. That's the first one he did with New Birth. If you remember, Jay Stone, after mm-hmm. just being in the group for three months. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also, but he says that's his finest work, which I, I wouldn't argue, I wouldn't dispute that. But I also highly recommend Analysis, which is the Nightlighters album, which came out around the same time. And they kind of had a Funkadelic Parliament thing at first, but then they mixed it together with New Birth. He talked about so much great thing and great things in that episode, you guys. Yeah, and yeah. So please listen to it. I, I miss that guy already. I was just remembering <laughs> Jay Stone, man. He had me in the fetal position, man. Because like when we did that episode, um, well. Robin Russell, to, to my knowledge, if I can remember correctly, he's the only guest we've had where I showed him what the, like the website was going to look like when the, uh-huh. just right when the episode was ready. I usually show the guests, yeah, just yeah. make sure they like it. He's yeah. the only one that told me he didn't like it. Uh-huh. And he was kind of, he kind of, he gave me a hard time. I guess what it was is I kept asking him for pictures, asking him for pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, I always invite guests to participate as much as they want. You know, right, uh-huh. can you give me any pictures you want me to put on the website? If they yeah. don't, I'll just grab it myself. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't, which is fine. So I grabbed my own pictures and I grabbed a picture that was his profile picture from his Facebook page. And uh-huh. I used that for the his like official homepage picture uh-huh. for our website. I thought that would be a slam dunk. <laughs> Dude, he saw that. He's all, you can't use that. That's, that's not my drum set. I'm like, 
<laughs> <I don't... laughs> and he's all, you got to hold that. And I'm like, oh, oh. and so I'm like, well, what, you know, because it was the time we were going to release it. I already mm-hmm. said the release date. It was going to be released in one day. And I was, it was like maybe 11 p.m. at night, actually, too, that right. I was talking to him because he would keep like weird hours. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, you know, you know, my sister-in-law already gone to sleep by then. And then he's all, well, and he, it turned out he was on the road. And he did all he had was physical pictures. He didn't have any digital. He just had stuff at his uh, house. Yeah, so yeah. he's like, "Well, I'll be back home in like two weeks." I was like, "Ah!" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was all in two weeks, but we already have the episode. And then I'm all, we already had a like Stymie's episode actually scheduled as well. Uh-huh. So I couldn't do that. Actually, I was like locked in. Mm. So anyway, but I, I eventually kind of just melted and like acquiesced. I was still living with my wife at the time. She came home and like, I was like, I was like, I was literally on the floor in like the bathroom. Like, cause you know what it is, man? Like, uh, I think I might've mentioned this before, you know, be careful what you wish for. Like when you have like the phone number of somebody who in your, to you is like famous or is like yeah. your hero, yeah. like think of some of the people we've talked to, right? Like it's still, it, Maruga Booker, he was very friendly, so he was easier to deal with. But our guests, like, they really, they intimidate you a little bit, even as you become friends with them. Right. And funk cats are really cool. They're much more overall laid back than other kind of rock star people. Yeah. Or even rappers and people like that. But still, it's intimidating. And if they don't, if they give you a hard time, which many of them have, because they, you know, they have certain demands or certain things they want or concerns. It can't freak you out, man. Imagine, picture your the person you love the most. Anybody listen to me right now? Who who's your favorite? Beyonce, mm-hmm. uh, George Clooney, you know Mark Twain, <laughs> whoever it is. <laughs> picture of that person had your phone number. Now they know who you are, mm-hmm. and you're disappointing them. Right. They go to their friend. I I just met this guy Jay Stone. He's an idiot. Right. <laughs> right. You, you know right. what I mean? Right. You're like, you're like ah. Right. Remember? <laughs> do you remember that South Park where like um. Cartman made that kid cry and like everybody from Radiohead walked by oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like thought he wasn't cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Uh, yeah. So like Robin, he, you know, he fucked with me, man. But then he was cool. So then the next day, um, I think he caught a vibe. Like he thought about it that I was kind of like freaked out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he had pity on me. And then he got with somebody, some friend or whatever, and he, he hooked me up with the digital picture that he wanted to use. Okay. And that one was a black and white picture. It's the only time we use black and white. <laughs> so we actually had to switch. My and yours picture was there. So we switched ours to black and okay. white. You know, that's why it was switched. Okay. So anyway, he, I, I, I remember about that about Robin because I admired him so much. He's such a genius. He's yeah. such a cool cat. And he wound up being really cool, man. And then once, because he kind of had that reaction to the look of the website, but mm-hmm. he didn't hear the web the uh, episode yet. Okay. So a couple of days later, when he did hear the episode, he called me again, and he just really told me, like, he just thanked me and said, like, this is great. Uh, what you did is wonderful. You guys are cool, man. Dope. And, you know, he just gave us, like, yeah. all kinds of love and, like, dope. you know, virtual hugs and stuff like that. Sweet. So it had a happy uh, ending to that story. Um, <coughs> I think I've taken about as much as this hot air. We got to turn the air conditioning back on. People got to go home. Telling you. I want to, you know, I want to wear the new birth out because we just got to give Robin props. She really oh, means man. a lot to us here at Ace Out Podcast. Gave us one of our best episodes of all time. So I decided let's do I Remember Well. I thought that'd have a good title, a good idea to leave you with. 
for Robin Russell, the great drummer. We'll see you next episode, everybody. Yes. For Star Colors, the bassist. Look Peace out, out and smell you later. Safe travels home, Jay Stone. Yes. Wait a second. Is this some kind of slow, mellow song? What is this? Uh-oh. What's happening? Uh... Visions of our love From me are so far away My mind can be at peace Yeah, yeah. He's got the push and drag. Robin Russell's got the push and drag. The smile on the face, but the look in Made it easier to find my way out Understand a little than to misunderstand a lie. Oh, oh, you will remain my Lord, Lord, that. Oh, yeah, you will remain my baby. Oh, Lord, 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 you will remain my baby. Yes, I remember. Anticipating it wasn't ever meant